Welcome everybody to the Technium Ride Home Experience for November 19th, 2022. We are actually live today, fucking live. It's amazing. Uh, it is amazing. <laughs> and we have a special guest in studio, which is even weirder to say since we're never in studio. In fact, we're in Brian's office, but we have Neil Dash here. Hello. Uh, an old friend um, joining us. I feel like this is long overdue. It's been a couple weeks since we've talked. Um, you know. It's long overdue for Anil to uh, be here. It's long overdue since you and I haven't spoken yes. and done a show in three weeks. Yes. And I feel like it's been six years since uh, three weeks ago. In, in the in <laughs> internet time. It's been a long three weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, actually, this is, I have an idea for a way in. Okay, great. Okay. When I, I have these two frames in my life in terms of the tech industry, right? So I started writing the book in 2012. By the time it came out in 2018, when I started in 2012, people were like, oh, you're going to explain how the internet changed our lives. By the time it came out, 2018, it was, <laughs> it already had. you're going to explain how it ruined our lives. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Five years ago, I started this podcast and lots of things have changed, but what I'm thinking about is from 2012 to now, and especially from 2018 to now. Okay, so 10 years ago. The tech industry, the, things have changed, new players on the scene, all sorts of stuff, but basically, kind of the narrative was kind of the same for the last decade. Yeah, the industry matured. If I had told you a year ago today that by the end of this year, crypto would have blown up, the big tech companies would all be laying off people, the 10-year bull run of VC investing was good. And, oh, by the way, Twitter may or may not make it <laughs> to the end of the year. <laughs> um, On a knife's edge. It's weird how much of the narrative that the tech industry has been in for a decade, all of a sudden this year, is chaos. Yeah, it's like it's back up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did I mention crypto was yeah. at its height a year ago right now? Yeah. So I... I think a year ago, I don't know. It but was November. You, but, but if you just said five years ago, that's going to happen in the next five years. Yeah. I think a hundred percent, I wouldn't say yes. Hmm. Um, and and you know, not that I have some particular impressions. I mean, you both know this space as well as anybody. But I think it was, it's untenable the path it's on. Hmm. Right. It's just sort of the sense of like you know, too, too big to fail or whatever you want to call it. Like there's a there's a part where you can only get so big and grasp so much. And also, you can only push people so far. Mm. And and this is an interesting thing because I think people want to map it to, you know, where they are on a political spectrum and all those kinds of things. But the interesting thing is, no matter where how you identify what you think of yourself as politically, you feel like they pushed you too far mm. in the last five years. And that's a really interesting thing because even the take crypto, even the most pro crypto folks were like. Well, this is a reaction to big tech's overreach, right? Yeah. Right, right. And then the most anti-crypto folks were like, "Well, this is a reaction to big tech's overreach." So that's a really like that to me was like very clear. I remember writing about it like 2016, mm -hmm. 2017, like on, on on Medium, which also feels like of that moment, and and um, and saying like they're going to call this entire industry the new robber barons. Mm -hmm. I remember saying that very yeah. distinctly, and I remember very distinctly people being like, "You're out of your mind." And I wasn't the only one. Like I'm, I'm talking about this as a voice of like not uh, oh I'm claiming I knew this, but I think I'll, everybody who looked at the pattern was like, yeah, this is not a thing where you can keep pushing this hard, this fast for this long without some pushback. Let me let me give you another one, and Chris, mm -hmm. yeah. th that it's, I'll tee you up. You, you've heard me say uh, 
over the last two years that the whole generation of companies that were coming up when I started this show, they all went out the door. I'm talking about the, the, the Ubers, the Airbnbs, the whomever. And, and, and I said... So I didn't say out the door. You mean... Went public, okay. had their liquidity moments, got, got acquired, etc. So, like, there's also... I feel like this is a generational change or, like, a, a cohort change where all of the big up-and-comers... I mean, obviously, they haven't won or they're not dead, but, you know. But they're established. They're established. And, and so I also feel like, and, and, and for a time, it felt like the crypto companies were going to step into this, be the next generation. But now it's like, wow. Like, yeah, I mean, I think the, a couple things have happened. You know, one is that uh, the pattern has been set in terms of what a tech um, success looks like. And so, especially from a VC you know, perspective, you know, they tend to be pattern matchers and looking for things that they've seen before. So crypto, and I think SPF is such a great example of this, uh, you know, had all the trappings of the you know, next proto Zuckerberg. Mm -hmm. uh, and the difference was that the fundamentals like, weren't there and the use cases weren't there for the technology. And the thing that it sought to replace, it, it, is, it is a different set of concerns and considerations than what Facebook actually offered the world which was an entirely new way, I mean, for essentially, you know, dogs to sniff each other's butts. And so the behavior, you know, was there, but the mediums and the access to it wasn't. Whereas when you try to replace the financial industry with just digitization, mm -hmm. you end up having to add all the controls that make the financial system trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And they explicitly rejected all those things. Yeah, it's so, in tension with the culture of what they were trying to build. Right, so, so the, the irony, and actually I would, I would take some issue with what you said about crypto being kind of, a, I think, against like the, the techno class or whatever. It was a response to the financialization and the financial market and the, the financial um, crash in 2008 that crypto yeah. was set up against. Yeah, except for the fact that they've been framing themselves as Web3 is going to right the wrong. Sure, but I guess what I'm saying is like it's, it's both, right? So yeah. on the one hand, it was like, we feel screwed by the financial system that existed. Yeah. We are going to take tech away from the tech people and build a new and different system. And somehow we're going to be smarter than, and sort of literally like pull an Enron, you know, smarter than everybody else <laughs> and create a better new system. Well, and I think there's, there's a really interesting thing of this sort of generation. I, I do think there are generations. I think, and, and maybe the defining trait of a new generation is everybody has to relearn all the mistakes the last generation just figured out, right? And, and that particular cohort you talk about of Uber, Airbnb, these things, were different in kind from the sort of Web 2 ones yeah. before them, right? Because yeah. if you look at, actually, great examples are YouTube, Twitter, uh, Facebook to some degree, there was actually technical innovation, right? YouTube, uh, at that scale, mm -hmm. streaming video, uh, it was even, and it was cost, it was cost prohibitive for them to do it, let alone for others to do it. But certainly before that, it was cost prohibitive. But the idea of doing video at that scale, uh, literally there were, you yeah. know, Wired Magazine had the, like, the internet is going to break, yeah. Right, yeah. right? It's like, you can't right. be done. Yeah. And so, so it's, it's important to remember the context of like, this is a technological breakthrough. Obviously at the same moment, iPhone comes out, right? And that is yeah. inarguably a game changer. Like it's just so very The technological breakthrough was mobile being real. Right. Yeah. Now, now take, and this is not being, trying to be intentionally reductive or dismissive, take the technology of Airbnb is a text box, right? Like what you're putting up is some photos and uh, a description and a payment system, right? And so from a 
it's not hard to scale the technical underpinnings of Airbnb. The social underpinnings, the reckoning with the uh, uh, you know different regulations in every area, what their laws are for housing, like all that kind of stuff. That's a really hard problem, and I'm not diminishing that at all. But it was not primarily a technical innovation. Yeah, I think the the thing that's important to think about is that the first wave that Brian was talking about was purely like digital, largely accessed through a yeah. web browser. Yeah. And so you had some device that connected to the internet and then there was an experience that was delivered to you, mm-hmm. whether that was in a large format or a small format. Whereas Airbnb, Uber, though that class was much more about how the internet then touched and reached into the real world. Mm-hmm. And then when we saw Obama get elected, then we saw it actually reach into politics. Yeah. And I think what, you know, as 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 uh, Andreessen talked about software eating the world. I think we've just continued to see what that actually looks like as it plays out. And the the financialization piece is the piece that has happened most recently that was on the one hand the most exciting because so many people were getting access to wealth and money that they'd never seen before. But then we suddenly realized not only how much uh, of a house of cards that was, but how the previous system that had been set up over literally generations and hundreds of years had a number of sort of stop gaps in it so that, you know, as you think about like uh, those, we have them in California where, where there's the highway and then uh, we have runaway vehicles and then they have like the pullover for like big granite mm-hmm. dumps, whatever, like crypto didn't have that. Crypto was just like, whatever, it's a free for all, you know, it's, it's totally libertarian. Mm-hmm. And as we've seen a crash, all those controls now suddenly make a lot more sense. So I want to challenge that narrative a little bit because sure. I see with Uber. I just want to say that you're talking about crypto in the past tense. I wanted to point that. Out. <laughs> that is an interesting. Change Go ahead. There. So I, I think there's a thing to look at with Uber, which is it is part of the same hyperfinancialization pattern uh, that that we could ascribe to the the market crash in, in 08, 09. But also, Sorry, I, I want to unpack that a little bit because as you're saying hyperfinancialization, I'm also thinking about capital and capitalization. And what I think is interesting also is to think about two effects of efficiency. One is the internet's ability to route uh, over a network like, and be robust. Yeah. Uh, and that sort of capitalization in the sense that there's all these latent, all this latent supply, yeah. which are, are vehicles that are not being used and potential drivers. And then there's the financialization, which is to exploit those resources right. for perhaps other people's benefit. Yeah, so, so this, this is where it goes. I, I actually, I think, I think a lot of people bought into there are all these these vehicles just sitting around. Clearly, there are right, but but conflating that with the pool of labor of people who drive for a living was a I, I think in retrospect a very intentional sleight of hand. Right, these are two different things. Like there was a story that you were going to pick somebody up in the back seat of your car on the way to work, and these apps would be helping coordinate that. That is not what happened right from the beginning. Yeah. Right, and and, and 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 I think there's a big thing. So we, as we record, say more about that. What do you mean? That, well, I'll give you a concrete okay. example. As we record this, we're in New York City. The um, we're, we're not too far from Jackson Heights, a neighborhood in Queens, uh, predominantly South Asian and Chinese. Mm-hmm. About a third of families who live in that neighborhood get some of their household income from driving. A third, okay. right? Mm-hmm. And so it's a fundamental. When you say driving, are you specifically so, talking about so mostly, or? mostly? So it's mostly. Well, if you go back uh, 15 years, it was mostly taxis okay. uh, and and delivery. You know, t- you know, uh, taxis. Well, also, yeah, delivery is right, other. right, exactly. Yeah. So that was the um, the landscape. Mm-hmm. And then um, what we had, and again, I, I can speak most specifically to New York. I think this happened in every place that Uber and Lyft went, but, but, but here in New York. The back of the bus would have an ad that said, make $5,000 a month driving for Uber, mm-hmm. right? And the that's aimed at a 
cab driver that is not aimed at everybody else who's stuck in traffic. Uh, so that already is sort of a shift in the rhetoric of well, there's an unused resource versus uh, we're trying to capture a market that already exists and turn it into something that is, uh, you know, fuel for our app. And I would argue that at least I bought into early on that, oh, it would be one of those things where you pick up four people on the way into the city. Like when you were yeah. saying it would organize these things that are unorganized. Right, the ad hoc things would become it, systematic. Right, exactly. So it's sort of the crowd sort of whatever thing mm -hmm. of the Web 2 ethos, mm -hmm. I thought, was going to manifest the Same, and I think we had that same optimism at the beginning of Web 2 and all those kinds of things. Because uh, when you first hear about Airbnb, uh, renting out your house, it feels like the couch surfing thing. Yes. As yeah. opposed to what it's become mm -hmm. is this professionalized sort of industry. Well, and, and, and the capture of, of, of housing inventory that is exactly. not being used yeah. for anything but right. that. Right, right, right. I mean, I was going to say, like, so, so it's hard at this point, and I, I want us to be very, very careful about the degree to which we kind of move into, I don't want to say, like, mis- or disinformation or sort of ascribing too much intentionality when there wasn't any mm. because you're talking about like this sort of and as we're talking about it this untapped market of cars that are just sort of lying dormant which mm. anybody can see you walk down the street and they're just parked there they're not being used they're, they're an underutilized resource then if you're talking about housing stock it would be hard for me although maybe some people had this impression at the time um, for Airbnb to say oh there's this amazing housing stock which are the houses that people own but they're just not always occupying them so therefore we should turn those into quasi hotels or proto hotels but not call them that and do some regulatory like arbitrage right. that feels far too kind of like telling a story it's backwards. a retroactive narrative yeah yeah no I, I think that's right and also but I think there's so, a I, so I think that it's very important though and, and I don't want to be either too Pollyannish or too like optimistic or positive or techno positive but there was an opportunity that many of us did see where it seemed like we could actually make a lot of things more positive more productive and useful and inclusive but getting to in the, the way that they weren't before right getting to the like what was the intent um, which may or may not matter right the impact probably matters even more than the intent but but one of the things is like people who own multiple houses enough that they can rent one of them out mm -hmm. are not trying to make a couple bucks on Airbnb mm -hmm. Right, so there was a, a mismatch of the the rhetoric of the narrative of what would be. By couple bucks, do you mean like they wanted like more than a couple bucks? No, they're like I own a couple houses because I'm so rich. I own a couple houses. Okay, and so I'm not, I'm not trying to do anything mm -hmm. to merchandise one of my homes. Mm -hmm. Right, like that's that's like As strangers to the, the the room above the garage that maybe you it, it, out of which is the thing we imagined in our exactly. heads when we yeah. heard about it. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, and, and then to the I point see. about Uber, why I point out those ads on the buses mm -hmm. is. Absolutely correct criticism of the taxi regime in New York was mm -hmm. uh, these immigrant families you know, from Bangladesh would have to get together, or, or you know, uh, where, wherever the families are from, pool their resources as a community, help somebody pay off, uh, get sign up for a million dollar mortgage on a, on a, a taxi medallion, and the whole community's in, in hock to this thing, and that guy, it's usually a guy, is going to go drive this thing and, and try and pay that off and pay back his community, and it is unfair, and it was limited, and it is a racket, and that's absolutely true. And he's like, okay, guaranteed five grand a month, I'm gonna go and do it and sign up. And what we know now, retroactively, is Uber would game the algorithm to give that guy more rides in his first month so he'd make five grand mm -hmm. and be like, great. Mm -hmm. And then month two, he's not making that. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, well, you just need to upgrade to UberX. By the way, there's three or four cars you can choose from to do that. That's not a mortgage you can get on your own because you already went all in on the medallion that you've got. But we'll give you the money. However, it'll come out of your money from Uber off the top and we'll help you get that car. Right? And that is just 
company store, right? That is just like worker exploitation mm -hmm. from, you know, a coal mine from 150 years ago. So let, let me reframe it again because we, we've stumbled onto talking about two specific cases. Mm -hmm. Let me reframe in a different way about how it feels like there's a generational shift or turnover happening in tech right now. For 10 years, and you could argue going back to the 90s with a blip in between, the young kid coming out of college, engineer, whatever, she goes to the Valley, she goes to New York, you find a company that, you know, you're, you're hire number 10 or whatever, you work your ass off, and hopefully eight years from now, you know. You, this was the narrative we were told, and you would okay. cash out and it'd, it'd be good. Coming out of college right now, you're looking at layoffs at all of the big companies, mm -hmm. and, you know, a third thing that I've my fund started last October when there were $50 million pre-seeds every day, yeah. you know, coming across my transom. So you're a founder now where for the last five years, all you had to do was have a decent idea and, you know, be in the right place, have the right team. Yeah, know the right people. So reframing it in terms of that, the young people and the industry, things are different. 100%. All of a sudden, than they've been for the. But last I mean, like, isn't this also? And I, I, I agree with you. Like, the reset has come largely because of macro conditions that have changed, and largely that the cost of capital and money now is much higher. And so I don't know what it was in the 2000s, the the interest rate, but as the interest rate has increased, and as the cost of that capital mm -hmm. has also increased, now capital has to become a lot more efficient. So in other words, there was a lot of money that was so inexpensive for VCs to get mm -hmm. and then put towards not great ideas because the chance that any one of those not great ideas could turn into something amazing and then pay off all the rest uh, was, I guess, is no longer the, the case or the condition. Well, and I think it, there's also, it there's may also, be that way for the next two to three years. I think there's also the changing poli political winds, right? Because if we sort of carry through the, the Uber story, Yes, Uber this is, is true. Uber's never made money, right? It's never been they almost just it, but right. But but sure. Thus far, sure. right? Like, but still on that weird EBITDA. Sure. Right. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. it's not it's not fully made up EBITDA, but it's like you know community based. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's not as bad as we work. Right. Okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So we have that part, and yet if you're you know the investors who are on their cap table, they made a lot of money, mm -hmm. and from a sort of policy standpoint, regulatory standpoint, they were just front-running regulation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and sort of say, if you get far enough ahead of regulation and you make a big enough bet, you can take a lot of wins off the table before the hammer comes down. Yeah. Arguably, the same thing happened in crypto. Like The crypto fund yeah, at Andreessen completely. is yeah. the biggest returning fund that they've ever in had in history. history, and arguably one of the biggest returning funds in the history of venture capital. Double their best fund that they had had previously. And I don't think anybody's arguing they created a ton of value or a ton of great jobs for people. Right, and that is a circumstance where, rightfully, regulation comes in, policy comes in, political winds shift, and people feel like, "Hey, that's not fair. That's not the way things ought to work." Yeah, there ought to be some point where, you, when you're get creating, getting this much wealth for yourself, you've created some value for society and done something that has this merit. And the the mismatch there is the biggest reason that capital is more expensive right now, mm -hmm. because people can see it. Like, even if you're not fluent in all the you know yeah. macroeconomic terms or whatever, you're like. Hey, a lot of people got screwed, and those guys got real, real rich. Uh, and uh, some large part of what they did may not even be legal within our current regulatory but, but I guess so, so what I'm saying there is like, if there is an opportunity to take advantage of a system where money is very cheap, then people will find ways to 
serve themselves. And I think if you look at what happened with the, the pandemic and the amount of stimulus relief that was out there mm-hmm. and the amount of fraud that was out there, mm-hmm. the decision was made and the calculus was made and the risk was accepted that it made sense to get more money out there because of the fact that people were not working or they were staying at home or whatever it was. So to support people, just flood the money with this resource and we'll sort it out after the fact, which seems analogous or similar to what you're describing as happening in the VC world, where again, it was like, let's put a bunch of money out there and then the regulations come back afterwards to say, okay, well actually we had a bunch of new things that were developed and grown. And I guess my question is, do you, is it then your position and I, I, I think, it, it is a little bit important maybe for you to reveal what I feel like is sort of, maybe it would be useful to hear your, maybe it's condemnation, like mm-hmm. of Uber in general, because I yeah. feel like yeah. you have such strong positions on it, and I want to yeah. separate Uber from yeah. the uh, suppose, innovation yeah. Yeah. of like ride share and ride hailing, and the fact that taxi, you know, the taxi industry was stagnant. And corrupt. And corrupt. Absolutely. And so I'm not saying, I don't want to like make a clear judgment about Uber in absolute terms, but in terms right. of a technological innovation, you know, live streaming video mm-hmm. generally has enabled lots of other people to get online and to make a living and to do different things like that, whether it's right. OnlyFans or Twitch. Yep. And so Uber additionally yeah. has brought technology to bear to the market. Oh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of wins, right? There's that, there's, there is inarguably, you know, black passengers in America having access to uh, rides and, and, and cars they would not have access to right. hailing on the street, right? I mean, there are inarguable social goods. I, I think that the question, though, when we talk about, like, the, the large-scale economic impact and, and, in my you know mind, also the how do you create a fair system, a just system around that, a regulatory framework around that, um, I... I want to really interrogate the like, well, the intent was to do this because I think there's, the narrative stayed, the intent was to deal with the inefficiency of you know, all these cars that are not being used. That narrative stayed the public rhetoric for a long time after we knew they were gaming the algorithm to sort of, in my mind, trick these drivers into signing up for a deal that they would never win on. Like, I guess like the thing that I'm, I'm struggling with to some degree is to the degree that both can be true. Mm-hmm. Where there there is a desire to sort of you know reform the the broader situation, let's say in this case of transportation, mm-hmm. and also that the methods by which the these companies grow or figure out growth strategies mm-hmm. not only like veer into the realm of of, of being I don't want to say like you know evil, but essentially. Um, they have an advantage because they know how the system runs and they can put their finger on the scale of the algorithm to move in one direction or another in a way that is opaque to those who are being controlled by the algorithms. Yeah. So whether it's content moderation or whether it's you know who gets the Uber trip sent to their, their app, uh, all of those things are continue to be opaque to the people who whose lives are ultimately controlled or manipulated by those systems. And but, that that like I guess there's a question as to what degree or how could regulation make some of those things more clear, and then how does that create a feedback loop that perhaps allows them to feel more enfranchised or more in control of how their lives actually unfold? I think a useful framing is to look at other models that have succeeded at scale, right? So if we imagine mm-hmm. if somebody had the idea for we ought to be able to share rides in 2004 or five. Uh, Chris, you and I would have been there saying, let's make an open mm-hmm. uh, spec for uh, a listing car <laughs> yeah. availability. They tried right. to do that in Austin. Right, right, yeah, right. Didn't work out so well. Right, right, but like that, that but would yes. have been the thing. And, and, and it's not, 
science fiction to imagine that Google would have indexed yeah. everybody publishing their car availability. Google even tried to do that. Right. I mean, I was on the Uber developer platform team and, you know, they, right. they indexed both Uber and Lyft and we didn't want to be commoditized. Right. Right. And so that's the thing. And, and, and I think the, 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 the lagging problem is policymakers can't understand yeah, yeah. or have not historically understood that that's a thing where they can apply uh, pressure to balance a market, to make it more competitive. Like, or, or, or to change the way in which the, the market is competitive. Right. Yes. And, and then for that example, like had that kind of thing succeeded to that point, Uber and Lyft would have been more well, competitive. Uh, but to be, to be fair, though, GPS is the thing that the government standardized mm -hmm. and provided access to. And, and it's that the is platform. What, exactly. It's an enabling platform. That's Absolutely. Right. And so that's and, what enabled that competition to occur. But we could imagine uh, taxi availability sure. having the same model as GPS. Yeah. I mean, if they're providing the medallions, then they could have also said, you know, yes. here's how we're going to have an auction so, place. So that's where I get to, like, how do you have regulation and market pressure from industry to push them to say, why aren't medallions an API with real-time data? Yeah, but so, so I feel like the big change and the big problem, though, is, well, I, I, I'm going to speak outside of my, my realm here, but it feels like politics and the government have largely not been as focused on being metrics-driven in the way that a lot of Silicon Valley companies prefer to be. So Uber can look, you know, quarter over quarter about what is growing and what is not. And they will do thousands of experiments mm -hmm. to learn how to move things, you know, forward. Right. And they'll have lots of different cohorts. Well, you have to have test cases. Hold on. Yeah. Whereas the government, at least as I understand it, largely has to do things that are similar or the same for all citizens at once. So they don't have the ability to do A, B, Z, you know, Q, Y, X cohorts of test subjects. Mm -hmm. The way that we handle that is through federalism and through the state system, but those are far too large to learn fast yes, enough no. at a low enough cost to actually make the types of changes that we'd like to see, I mean, that we rely on companies to basically do instead. Yeah. So, I mean, at a literal level, there are A-B tests going on at federal and state and local governments, but it's, it is not at the same degree and not to the same uh, pervasive. Well, because there's also like the, the privacy concerns from citizens against right. the government. Well, and I think that, yeah, I think there's sort of a couple related concerns. I think one is just the ability to do a, a, very, a series of variations and say, how is this digital service going to serve people right. requires an abundance of resources. Yes. Where yes. you have to have right. triple and, and quadruple resources to do that. And there is no government issues. As much people talk about the waste or whatever, yeah. there is not that, right? Well, and I, I mean, but this actually makes a very interesting point, which is that the amount of waste in tech companies is enormous. Yes. As Elon has recently talked about in terms of like the, you know, $400,000, yeah. uh, you know, a month in lunches or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would never stand in the government. Right. And yet, at the same time, our skepticism of government using funds effectively is the very reason why we don't seem to, or I mean, we do fund things at a pretty high right. level, but we don't fund them at the same level that Silicon Valley companies do, sure. and then therefore they don't have the time to actually explore and innovate and try things over a cycle right. that then produces It's also like the, 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 innovation. the mechanisms of manipulating government are essentially these days about outrage and, and the sort of media cycle, sure. right? And we, we have, like, there's an inside joke in our industry about, like, you know, messaging apps at Google. Uh -huh. but, there, right. Right, it, but there is not, like, widespread outrage of how could they have wasted, which they did, hundreds of millions of dollars over now the better part of two decades throwing systems away over and over and over, right? Like right. that is that is phenomenal waste on a scale that almost, except for the Pentagon, almost no right. Right. federal agency <laughs> has done, right? Like yeah. It's a world-class waste, yes. right? <laughs> like, like, like innovation, uh, boundary-breaking waste. And so I think that's the thing where we're like, we don't have that lens. We're like, that's what it, uh, yeah. you, gotta, you gotta break yeah. some eggs, you gotta make some mistakes, yeah. fail, you, you right. gotta fail often, right? And, and I'm just like, 
these are the same thing. And, and, and conversely, the successes where I look at um, the federal loan forgiveness website worked like a champ. You look at the uh, USPS distribution of COVID tests, worked like a champ. Now, I can quibble, we should have had more tests, we should have had more sure. forgiveness, we should have, sure. like, all that kind of stuff. And but in terms of, like, could you go to the website, sign up, get it done? Maybe oh, yeah. because they learned their lesson from the bad Obamacare rollout, and mm -hmm. it's like, yeah. Right. Well, and that was also procurement capture, too, right? That wasn't, mm -hmm. like, there wasn't people that didn't know how to do it, because they ended up doing what people they had. Mm -hmm. The bigger problem was you had to hire some people who were incompetent. I'm going to reframe to get into Twitter. Congratulations, boys. We've gone a half an hour and we've not spoken about Twitter yet. <laughs> yes. But I before the first I, half hour in three weeks, before I, do <laughs> I don't want to cut off the conversation if you're not satisfied with its conclusion. I, I think we, I think we made the point, right? Yeah, I think that is the shape of the problem. Yeah. yeah. Like I think what, what your, your key point is that we're going through a reset. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's very important. And I think it's one we haven't seen since Correct. 2002. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's very few of us that were there for that and still have a voice. Because even that famous memo, batting down the hatches yeah. or whatever they said yeah. in 2008, coming, it, it, Sky is falling. It didn't, yeah. it didn't actually happen to tech in the sense that, no. sure, there were layoffs, sure, investments didn't happen that could have happened. But somebody coming out of a top school still applied at Google. Exactly. Exactly. 100%. Um, okay. So my last framing of this is in the list of things. I will say, sorry, one more yeah, thing. Just yeah. you said that it hasn't been this way since 2002. And, you know, I got into the tech world really in 2004. Mm -hmm. So in, in terms of when we think about like cultural generations, usually a generation is 30 years. Mm -hmm. It could be that in the tech world, it's actually 10 years. I'd say it's mm -hmm. five. <laughs> Seriously. I think, I, I don't know about generations, but there is, to me, very clearly a 10-year cycle. Yeah, I, I mean, think if you the look at, cycle, the, at that sort of like, yeah. uh, how lessons are learned and cohorts of people who they identify yeah. with, I think there's a very Cohorts is probably cycle. the better word than generations, I think. Um, yeah. and, but, and, and what I remember in 2002 was, and, and it's funny because like, these sound like ancient, you're talking about <laughs> AOL and Yahoo <laughs> and these things, but like being somebody that like remembers yeah. that era, um, people stopped saying that's where I'm going to go. Yeah. Like they retreated from Silicon Valley is the future yeah. and tech is where yeah. we're going to make our money. They were like, that is dead yeah. for people who were, you know, casuals. When I think about generations, I think about how long it takes to sort of, you know, have forgotten everything that happened yeah. in the yeah. last cycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The complete lack of knowledge yeah. is a generation. So yeah. that's why when I say like I was arriving to Silicon Valley in 2004 and it was like, oh, everyone has left. Like right. yeah. they think this is yeah. a ghost town. Yeah. Like this is yeah. not the future. I, like, it, it's I, I hard to overstate how dead it was in 2002, yeah. and even as late as 2004, when I remember you, you know, mm -hmm. arriving on the scene. I think that part was like people were telling their kids, "Don't go do yes. that." Yes, right. And, yes. and it's it was the contrarian thing to do. Yeah, it's very hard for people to imagine. And also for me, being like one of the nerds on the inside, we were celebrating. Oh, the suits are leaving. The Wall Street types yeah. are leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's just left to us nerds yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why, like, if crypto is over and the suits are leaving again mm -hmm. and the money is leaving, yeah, oh, again, for sure. Then hey, listen, uh, only the pure-hearted. When, <laughs> when Chris Messina got to Silicon Valley in 2004, he thought it was dead. When Mark Andreessen got to Silicon Valley in 1993, mm. he famously thought he had missed it because the PC boom was over. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. okay, so in my framework of things, the, the narrative changing. Yes, let's talk about the. Elon Musk as the great business genius. And I'm not framing it that way because I'm about to argue that, oh my God, he's blowing up Twitter. Maybe we'll get there, some of us, I don't know. <laughs> but um, that's a narrative that has existed and was extremely strong even four years ago. And now, <laughs> say what you want about all, but like, 
it doesn't seem like from the beginning of, hey, I'm going to buy this company, to overpaying, they're trying to get out of it, to now, does it look like there was a plan? The, the genius of Elon Musk as uh, the greatest businessman of his generation, is that blown up? I think it's too soon uh, to really tell. Um, I, I really want to give, you know, like the Twitter Elon at least six months. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that what we've seen in the last month is uh, the easiest way I think for me to understand it is again to think about uh, the Roman roads that exist underneath many civilizations uh, where they came in and there was, you know, uh, a people who was conquered and then a new structure was built on top of the old. Some of those roads still exist. You can see how amazing they were built. Um, you know, there were aqueducts, all sorts of things, but the new world order literally was built upon the old. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it really feels like Elon's modus operandi, to go Latin, uh, is to essentially wipe out yeah. whatever the peoples are, you know, who are living in, you know, the town or village and replace it with, you know, his own or those who are willing to stay and are willing to essentially abide by a new culture. So to me, like Twitter as we knew it is, is dead. Twitter with the genetics uh, that were contributed by Ev Williams and Jack Dorsey, who are much softer types of leaders, I would say, and who, I mean, like Medium itself, like the company Medium, I think also has some of the same genetic, you yeah. know, malformation. And it, these things survived and thrived almost in spite of themselves because of how little innovation and how much growth kind of happened over time. In the last year, a lot of people like lament Twitter's stalling out, but they shipped more shit than they had yeah. in like their entire existence. Yeah, for sure. So the fact that like people sort of missed that, you know, and the fact that that kind of happened after Jack had left the building uh, seems to be a little bit confusing. And so if Elon wants to come in and wipe out all the people and start building from a new foundation on top of the bones of the old thing, then I want to give him some time to demonstrate whether that can work in a social context. We're being sponsored today by a company on a product that longtime listeners know I have used for years and cannot literally cannot live or at least work without it. 1Password. 1Password combines industry-leading security with award-winning design to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. Companies lose hours every day just from employees forgetting and resetting passwords. A single data breach costs millions of dollars. 1Password secures every sign-in to save you time and money, any device, any time. 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. I started using 1Password, what, a decade ago? Join me and over 100,000 businesses on board the 1Password bandwagon. Because right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride. That's two free weeks at the number one, the word password, all one word, dot com slash ride. Onepassword.com slash ride. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. The best business case that could be made is that Twitter was bloated. Uh Uh-huh. All of tech is bloated, you could argue, in terms of overhiring and... Well, relating to all the, the money... We're talking about largest. Google yeah. and... and, and yeah, this is and, the impact of the over, right, yes. right, overcapitalization. Yes, that's right. That's the best business case I can make. Okay. And obviously, people in the last 48 hours have been going on and on about, oh, it's going to break because there's not right. enough people to... Yeah. <laughs> hamsters in the wheel, spinning the wheel. <laughs> exactly. Um, those two things... Whatever, over yeah. here. The... The thing that I find unbelievable is that it is, in this day and moment, an advertising business. And every single thing that has been done, and and people like to point to the political chaos or whatever, but also, if you're, again, a brand manager at General Mills, do you feel confident buying for the next 18 months at Twitter? You don't if you see this sort of... Forget the politics, forget all that stuff, just are you sure it's going to be there? Um, You know, the... And so, the and then the move towards if, if if this is true and we don't know yet that what he sees is the only way out is a subscription based business. There's the rumors all the last forty eight hours that he wants to go maybe in an adult oriented business or something like that. Fine, but I don't think that you can get there to service the debt that we know he needs to service and to, to dig out of the hole that that seems to be there. So I think there's a couple things to flag. I think the first is. We do have 20 plus years of history of understanding how social networks can work, scale, uh, and be monetized. There is a community of practice and a history, and I don't think there's anybody who would argue he has a fluency in that, right? So that's actually one of the fundamental questions is, is, is uh, uh, he is part of a cohort that believe lack of credentials is your credential, right? And so I'm sure there are disciplines, again, the ones that, to your you know, point that are bloated, overbuilt, or have too much legacy, uh, whatever, in which uh, coming in with the brave new, fresh new thought is good. Um, there's also, there's a really interesting thing, sort of separate from the, the, the public conversation, I think, which is um, he belongs to a cohort that believes to varying degrees of sincerity that Twitter is a political project. Right, it is it is run a political way. It has a staff with a political agenda, and uh, and and it's a destructive political agenda. It's bad for I don't know for capital or for America or various versions of that story. And interestingly, very clear, even though it's been so chaotic for his tenure, 
he is running Twitter as a uh, correlating political project. It's inarguable the way he's talked mm-hmm. about it, communicated it, made the decisions, and and publicly presented it is. I have an alternate political view, and I'm going to use that to bring to bear on how I make decisions here. That's new, actually, yeah, yeah. right? And 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 it is actually a start. I uh, would just push back a little bit because Jack was very like supportive of a very broad like. He at least showed, and I think spoke to a set of concerns from a set of people that previously weren't really in the room or in the minds of leaders for a lot of Silicon Valley tech companies, like non-white dudes, basically. There was a point, I think, where he did that. But also, we know that he did conspire with Musk to make the transaction happen in direct contradiction to what he told his workers, which is... To me, I'm just saying, it like, indicates like, a shift in terms of <laughs> sure. There, there was a point where that was true. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. So I, 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 I think that, like that was like in the tea leaves, so yeah, so like beforehand. But yeah, I, I well, agree. and I yeah. think I think actually it's a good it's a good point because you know there was the point where Jack was talking about going to live in Africa for a year, yes, right? And and the response from the investor class was, yeah. "We will destroy your company," right? Right? And right. and so, I guess he took a lesson from that. <laughs> you know? I, th- th- I have a new theory that's developing that. What you said about this is a political project, and I also believe that that's true for some of his investors as well, mm-hmm. to the degree Very that so. I'm not sure that for Elon and some of these investors, either outcome is good. Like if they yeah. turn Twitter yeah. into their dream mm-hmm. of what they think it should be uh, as a social network, as a platform, or if it fails trying to be that. Mm-hmm then they have blown up something that they thought was corrosive and negative. That's right, right. They, they, blew, up their, 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 they blew up the enemy encampment right. at, yeah. at, the, at the worst case. Yeah. And at the best case, they turned the enemy encampment into their new castle. Right, right. right. And, and, and I think um, the, the, the line I would draw that I think is very similar is you look at, um, uh, if you go back 10 or certainly 20 years, uh, the venture capital story was we believe in great entrepreneurs and innovators and we invest in them and we provide the resources. And I remember, you know, I, I used to be an arms dealer providing blogging tools to people and I helped set up the blog for uh, Mark Andreessen mm-hmm. and Fred Wilson and that, that cohort mm-hmm. of uh, VCs. And the narrative they were very strong about, and this was a reaction to the dot-com era, was we empower founders. This is why we ended up with the dual-class yeah. shareholders, all that other stuff that happened. And, and you're the genius. Well, sorry, with Google. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and it was actually a contrast to yeah. uh, what had come before. And so there was a really, really strong sense of you know we're just aw shucks. You're geniuses. We're just the people who cut the checks, and we want to see you thrive. And there was a really clear narrative that uh, we were never given a like that era has ended announcement, mm-hmm. right? However, you know you look at Andreessen Horowitz and like you go. I bet it, if you go to their homepage right now, you'll see. The American Dynamism mm. document, which is a, a political platform, mm. right? Very, very straight, straightforwardly. Mm. So this is what we think is good for America. And if you conform to the precepts of our political platform, then you can have our money, mm. right? Which is, again, the opposite of the stated rhetoric of the prior generation of venture capitalists. Have you noticed that the, the rhetoric among, I think, Elon himself, although I haven't been following that closely, but definitely people that are cheering Elon on, mm-hmm. which I'm not, I want to be clear, I'm not saying I'm not cheering Elon on, but the people that are standing up vociferously to defend him over the last 48 hours have almost taken the tack of, great, mm-hmm. he is destroying the, the bloated, the bloated 
um, engineer slash managerial class, the elite. <laughs> now, yeah. that is yeah. also something that is via completely a 180 degree difference between the hunt for talent, the fetishization of talent that includes the engineers. Yes. So, so yeah. what we're saying is these people are now drawing a line between the founders and the capital on one side mm -hmm. and the talent being the engineers the and the designers mm -hmm. and the managerial class. But they, for, for the last 15 years, Silicon Valley has not treated the engineers, the designers as labor, no. they've treated them as talent. Right. Is that something it's that is... there wasn't enough of them. Is that something that is mm. turning right now? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think this is... Like, if you squint at this and you look at 100, 150 years ago, this just looks like union buster. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't this isn't like, oh, wow, we've never seen a, a, a tycoon or a robber baron come in <laughs> and tell people you aren't that valuable. Like, like you know, the, and, and the rhetoric from the folks who are cheering him on... And again, like, you can have whatever point of view you want, but, like, if you search and replace like a Pinkerton statement okay. from 150 years ago, it's like, that's the same shit. In 150 years ago, it was warm bodies that could do manual labor. Yeah. The thing that I have been led to believe for the last 15 years is that Silicon Valley thought differently in the sense that the talent of the engineer class was so sophisticated and so unique yeah, yeah. that they're irreplaceable, that you can't just grab someone off the street yeah. and make them a good engineer. It, is there? You guys would know There's better. There's magic to it. Yeah. Is there? You guys would know better than me. Is there something that has changed in the way that startups and tech companies function that maybe people believe that now? That hey, we don't. Maybe we can run a Twitter with 300 people. Yeah. Let me tell you. Yes. So the technology has changed, and the attitude about what you can do to scale has changed. But also your ability to. Uh, outsource not in the you know social sense, but in the technical sense to, to offload mm -hmm. uh, the, the 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 some of the layers of your stack has increased. But I'll, I'll tell you a quick story, which is a great sort of argument towards that we're hitting a twenty-year cycle, you know, repeat. Which is, um, believe it or not, even during the dot-com era, uh, coders were not really valued. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I uh, ran Glitch uh, until we were acquired earlier this year. Glitch came out of a company called Thought Creek Software that had been around for 20 years. It was started in 2000. Uh, the, one of the two co-founders, the face of the company, uh, Joel Spolsky, had a, a blog called Joel on Software. And it was one of the first really sort of uh, coder-centric blogs and, and helped define early blogging culture. And one of the fundamental statements he made that helped elevate it to that was, you ought to take programmers and coders seriously. You ought to give them good resources. And the funny thing to think about this is it's how meager the things were that he was advocating for. You should give them a nice monitor. It should be a relatively recent computer with enough RAM and memory to be able to work. I mean, it sounds like an absurd thing to say. Upgrade their Dell computer. But that yeah, was the stakes. Yeah, things yeah. were so low yeah. in estimation for these folks. And I, I, I sort of you know, teased him one of the most recent times we were talking. It's like, that was the most effective series of blog posts we've ever seen because they went from, you have a bunch of nerds in the back and nobody's listening to them. And even his case of like, listening to them about their business acumen, these are smart yeah. people, to arguably the most empowered class of workers that the world has ever, ever seen. Yeah. Right? Right? And so when you have that level of escalation in one generation, 20 years, uh, of a set of workers, uh, again, historically, uh, there's a couple different ways that you sort of go and try to say, like, we're, we're threatened by that. How do we crush it? Right? And in the case of, again, I, you know, go back to 150 years, like, it was a lot of concern of if we hire people to build railways, 
that are in this country in that time was recent immigrants of Irish and Italian and uh, uh, and and black workers, you know, African Americans. They were going to say, well, they're going to get too wealthy. So the reason, like, the reason I am here in this country as an Indian American is the first wave of Indian and Chinese immigrants were let in to try and depress wages for the other folks who would have been building the railways. And the minute the railways are done. Uh, folks go and say, okay, close the doors and violently crush these people and don't let them form towns, right? And, and that's how you get Stanford University. Google Stanford. <laughs> Find out about that guy. And so so there's a really interesting thing of like, and that happened with uh, the highways. So my father came to build the highways and that's why they let him have a special visa to build the, the highway system. And the highways drove right through the neighborhoods of the people who they didn't want to have profiting from these networks. So like the, the idea that it would be different this time was like, no, this is a pretty ancient historical pattern now, decades and centuries old, and we sort of say, okay, we were complete with another era of building a network akin to highways and railways with the internet's construction. We did let in the same Indian and Chinese immigrants to do it that we did before. We had the same backlash of nativism, and what followed then is the same wave of rising authoritarianism and the political project of putting workers back in their place after they got a little too full of their britches. And I'm like, the details are going to be different. You know, the circumstances are different. But in terms of the, the, the structure, that pattern is something where we can sort of say, in a, does it fuzzy fit over this time? It does. And then does it look different? Well, yeah, in some meaningful ways. And the question is like, what happens after that? I, I, I think that's the, that's the sort of the big question. And, and like, coming back to Twitter. It, was Twitter blowed in some ways? I'm sure. I am sure. There's no doubt about it, right? It's a company that's been around. Most of the companies were as a result of the pandemic. Right. And also because of the approach to how we see innovation happening. Mm -hmm. To do A-B testing, you better have enough teams to do an A and a B, right? And, and, and also because they were getting more effective at trying new things. I, I think from a product standpoint, it is inarguable that Parag Agarwal was the most effective CEO that Twitter ever had. And, the, and, and that may be a low bar. But also, but, depending on what you're counting as success. Well, here's an example, right? At the moment when uh, the Silicon Valley conventional wisdom was Clubhouse is the next big thing, mm -hmm. Twitter pivots from doing fleets, which was sort of middling and not really succeeding, mm -hmm. to doing spaces and wins yeah. the space, yeah. crushes yeah. even like with all of Andreessen's firepower, mm -hmm. where they have, you know, they're, they're, they're getting their families involved and come start a stream. Would that be like Kayvon, though? I mean, like kind of unleashing. His ability you can, to like you, can ship. you can describe credit to all kinds of people, but I mean, if we're going to assign blame to CEOs, then we're going to assign credit to them too. Yeah. And sort of say, under, even if all the product does get out of the way to let Kayvon succeed, it would it be happens. it would be interesting for some listener to go back. Remember the day that I first said we can no longer make fun of Twitter not shipping products. <laughs> like, find that date yes. and find how, how many long, minutes, how yes. long after Parag took over. Right. Um, yeah. But well, okay. So, and also, yeah, to be fair, you haven't spoken at all yet about Twitter, so no. you, it's your your. <laughs> You well, can run. Okay, you can run. Wind okay. him up. Let him yeah. go. I guess I care less about like, the Parag thing because uh, obviously he was in and out, and you know he was like CTO before, and there was a project to rewrite. This is the most interesting thing, probably, about this Elon moment is that one of the big projects that had been holding Twitter back for years was all the technical debt that it accrued that made it impossible for them to build, ship, and launch things and do so as experiments. That work came to a close, and I don't know, I presume Jack, at least as CEO, sort of presided over that. Yeah. Prague was CTO, and so he mm -hmm. oversaw maybe the implementation of it. And they work. were both very involved in it, to my Exactly. Yeah. And it was like a major undertaking. And finally it happened. 
And then you did see like the dam burst and all of a sudden they were shipping a lot of stuff. Yeah. Now granted they were, you know, geo restricted and they were doing experiments and it was like very slow going and it was like hard to say, you know, if they had moved like Facebook moves where Facebook just kind of like, I mean, granted Facebook does their own experimentation, but had, had launched things internationally and globally. Mm-hmm. If Twitter actually would have been changing as a business, because there was a lot of, for example, creator monetization things. Right. Even Twitter Blue. I mean, Twitter Blue exactly. existed yes. right, yeah. and had yes. a good set of features, and I paid for it. Right. Because I was like, these are things I want as a power user. And I had literally asked for 10 straight years, mm-hmm. hey, I'm a power user of this platform. I know I'm not a celebrity, yeah. but I use it for my work. Yeah. And there's a set of tools that I, and I tried to do a, a goddamn startup to give those features, mm-hmm. and right. then that got killed. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll pay you for it to do Just the do thing it. I was yeah. trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. If you let me do it. And they got to like, you know, maybe 30% of what I wanted, but they got a thing. And talking to that team, I was like, this is a, this is a smart thing to do, and I can believe you will do the other things that I would sure. want. And that was the first time, literally in the history of Twitter, where I was like, I'm paying you for what yes. I want out of the platform. Right. After 50 years. Allowing me to. Right. I, so anyways, my, my point is that there was a lot of work that had gone on before. They finally get to the place where they're shipping things. Now Elon comes in, fires a number of people, gets them you know, out. Swear or gets people to swear, you know, a loyalty oath or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And the platform is actually probably in its most mature as it's ever been. Mm. And so, possibly your, its most healthy in theory. Perhaps. I yeah. mean, like, we'll see how it does with, with yeah. the World yeah. Cup, yeah. you know, this yeah. weekend. But, like, if it actually handles it and there's not all these hamsters yeah. running around, then there yeah. was a question. Yeah. Like, and it's just that sort know, of thing where, like, I, I think it's a strong argument that, like, when Satya Nadella stepped into Microsoft, Balmer had kind of set up mm. a lot of. Uh, mm-hmm. The organization for success yeah, in a yeah. way, right? and the, 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 the canonical example right. on that was they shipped Office on the iPad like two minutes after you know, Satya <laughs> stepped in and CEO. And he's like, "Look what I did!" Yeah, I mean that's what you do. Like you hold yes, something yeah, to give the CEO yeah. a new chance to succeed. But you know, and I do think there's a chance that they thread the needle on like the platform stays up because they made those investments. I think there is zero chance that there would be an intellectually honest reckoning where they say yeah. they did a good job and that's why we're still right. here. And that's the thing I take issue to, which mm. is it, it should matter that you do the work and tell the truth in building what's next, even if you say we were bloated and inefficient in these ways. And I take the example of like what all these guys are chasing, Musk and all of them, mm. is the kind of legacy and cultural weight that a Steve Jobs has. Right, and and you take Jobs coming into Apple, and uh, and I have a million quibbles and disagreements and whatever criticisms you can offer, but a couple things are clear. One, from the moment that he comes in to when he's like I CEO and they do the iMac and all that kind of stuff, he shut up, kept his, kept his head down, sort of said what's there. Two, he found the talent. Right, yeah. like, yeah. like 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 Johnny Ive and all those guys were there. Johnny Ive was a backbencher that wasn't being appreciated at all in that design team. Yeah. But that is actually, and this is a shocking thing to say about Steve Jobs, a form of humility. Yeah. To say, sure. let me go and find this person and come in yes. and do yeah. it. And also, they didn't like they threw away having eighty-five different models and all the different business plans and licenses and all the other crap that they did. But in terms of like the tech. They were able to do it with what they had. They yeah. didn't have to be like, we got to, you know, they didn't rewrite the OS immediately. They did right, that over but time. there's they all those famous it. stories of the four quadrant, and we're only going to do yes. these four things. We're going to simplify our product. Clarity of vision. Yeah. They exactly. did do layoffs. They did those things. Yeah. The, the how matters because the aspiration of this industry is that there is a rationality and a logic to it because it is software, because it is technology. I'm sorry, when you say the how, what part of the how are you talking to? Well, the, the how of how you. So, uh, Musk would argue he's doing a turnaround of Twitter as a failing business. Yeah. Inarguably, Jobs is coming out to a turnaround of Apple as a yeah. failing business. And the how of how you do a turnaround from a 
social, ethical, cultural, political standpoint, in addition to the technological and, and, and you know, business standpoint, uh, I think it matters. It matters in what you are in the world. It matters in what the industry I said, so I, I'm going to push you on this because I, I feel like there's, there's, and this is because I know you and I you know, yeah, yeah. know your values. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm glad you do. <laughs> I just, I, the thing that I'm struggling with is I don't know if there's another way uh, in terms of what Musk is doing. I know, you know, Kara Swisher is not happy with him, and mm-hmm. a lot of us are disappointed in the way in which he's treating people, but I, I have not really seen a sort of softer, gentler way to gut a company and, you know, turn it into a pirate company. And that's what Jobs did before, and that is what Musk is doing now, and Musk has done a couple times. And that approach is almost necessary to send a very clear signal and a message. And it's not like he's like killing people. You I, you go and then I'll, I'll push back. Yeah, I think uh, really quickly. Um, well, let me, there, let me finish my, go, my please, point. Yeah. Because this, the decision to come in and like you said, to simplify what Apple was doing to a very small surface area of products yeah. to allow teams to just focus on solving important and necessary and crucial, if not essential, problems to define what Apple would become feels similar to the thing that Twitter now needs to do, which is that Twitter not only had become bloated in terms of you know, people and processes and they couldn't ship things and what have you, but in terms of what Twitter actually is, mm-hmm. I don't know or believe that Parag actually has an opinion. He is he's a, a manager and he is someone who will sort of put processes in place, but in terms of at least what it seems to be that Elon has, whether we agree with it or not, is for Twitter 2.0, it is a set of things, and it is many more things than it is not. Yeah, so I, I disagree. And, right. I, and I think there's a couple reasons why. I think yeah. the first is I, I, I can fully buy into the idea that Twitter or any company that is similarly mature and been around for a while could use a, mm-hmm. a simplification on the scale of what Apple did when it went back to the four-quadrant product model. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very straightforward argument to make. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I don't think there's any evidence that that is the strategy that that was laid out as a strategy for Twitter and now they're executing on it. I I think it's impossible to believe that a competent leadership team would come in and do that. I don't I don't think that that Jason Calcanis and David Sachs are sitting in a white room with you know a whiteboard room a conference room and have this that kind of thing and they're like and then what we're gonna do is accidentally lock some people out and maybe secretly let some people back in and beg the head of sales to come back. Remember that mm -hmm. this has been lost now. Earlier in the week the back and forth between what the blue product was gonna be and whether we're Mm -hmm. going to have official verification and the back and forth so many times that none of us remember that none of us remember where it's at at this Moment. I don't know. I don't know. And actually, it's and, launching and, and, on November 29th. Right. But more, more importantly, coming back from that, I can't enter my profile. Yeah. I, you, right. It, it broke things that weren't broken. Also, if you had that strategy, you wouldn't start with the blue check. It is nowhere near to the most broken thing that's there. Right. So you started like the signifier, the tell, is you started with the thing that is important to the political context of the cohort you're in, and that is brain poisoning by being inside a bubble. The other thing I'd say is Prague was a good CEO for a number of reasons, I think. One of them was if you were going to transform this thing, even if, uh, one, I don't know if he had a plan that he was going to do some big cut and some vacation or whatever. What I do know is they did ship blue and it did have a consumer subscription model and it was aligned with the most engaged users. And what were the numbers? Like 200,000? It wasn't bad. It wasn't, I mean, for a subscription business, for social media, it was phenomenal. Two, uh, he was one of the primary instigators of Blue Sky, which now yeah. since has yeah. spun out independently, and is technically pretty good. 
Like as an open protocol, like who knows if these things would, but we're seeing with Mastodon's rise, where like Mastodon has signed up more users in the last two weeks than Twitter ever has in any two week period in its history. Right? Now who knows if they'll stay and whether right. experience right. is right, all those kinds of things, like all the caveats yep. are there. But it is inarguable, it's hard to get people to download an app and sign up for it with zero paid installs and be ahead of Facebook Messenger and Apple's app store, and even though there's ten different clients and none of them are very good. Especially if an app like Mastodon is as difficult as it is. That's right, that's right. Like um, the experience is kind of crap. So so I come back to like and if you're gonna say if you're gonna start from from uh, first principles and build a mass uh, an activity pub style protocol for something like Mastodon, it would look a lot like Blue Sky. And again, Chris, you and I have spent more time yes. uh, tilting at this windmill than most folks <laughs> in the world. And you're like, that's not bad. And that's the highest praise you can yeah, offer. That's yeah, not that's shitty, not right, right? Right. And so, so you sort of say, okay, the technical competence is there. The product direction broadly is there. Were they aggressive enough and maybe refactoring into what they're? Probably not. But is it within the realm of what works? It probably could be. And so you sort of say uh, it is a non-radical version of evolving into that org. Now, could they have put pressure as a board and said you should move more quickly? Absolutely. Twitter's board is shit show. Always has been. Always will be. Still is, by the way, even though it doesn't have a board. And so I think that's the thing I'd sort of say is like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it is this, I'm coming in to simplify things like Jobs did when he went back to no, Apple. Hold on, hold on, because me. you wouldn't start with the blue check. Let me, yeah, but let me clarify. Like, I think the, the blue check is, is symbolic. And it is a thing that at least, if you want to fuck up a lot of people's experience, it's going to tweak a lot of people and get them to pay attention and to focus. And so, like, I don't want to give him too much credit and I recognize that it may sound like I am. Mm. However, one, it seems like the plan is to come in and like clear the deck. He bought this thing for $44 billion. He can do whatever the fuck he wants with it. It's like a car dealership and he could you know, decide to sell tanks, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Like it's his now, he bought it, he can break it. So as a first principles concept, start there. Then second, he's like, okay, let's see how fast I can actually like ship and deploy something. So let's do the blue check. I don't really like, it feels like he's sort of in this like nihilistic mode where he's just like, I'm just gonna like pull things out and see what happens and see what breaks. Right, hold on. Hold on. No, yeah. Hold on. And this sets up sort of a symbolic gesture to say, this is how fast I will move and this is how I operate in this space. So if he's just going, you disagree. Yeah, but, but finish. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Yeah, I'm not saying you're right or wrong. Uh, yeah, I'm just observing what, what yeah. I'm seeing. Yeah. And I'm. Like I'm trying to sort of parse this set of actions, not as though they are a sense of like I agree with you. There is no strategy. Mm-hmm. However, the behavior is setting a tone for how things will change. And what I don't know if I were to go back to when Jobs came back is how he treated people or what he said or how he got people to get out of whatever the you know, John Scully mindset was <laughs> that, that was causing that them to behave story. in the way that was leading to Apple like slide sideways and to miss the opportunity. So. At least in terms of coming in and like you know throwing up the, the the desk chairs and table and making a big fucking mess and saying all right guys all the Legos are on the on the ground what do we want to build that tweet storm that I read on the yes. show yesterday the guy said well give us a roadmap give us a plan and yes. none of that has been communicated correct okay mm-hmm. I come back to what I said when we started this conversation on Twitter which is. I'm coming at it from the business angle, and if I'm a bank that has given him this debt, if I'm one of the investors that ponying up to do the second half of this deal, all I care about is making Twitter a business that makes money, right? And yes, cutting some of the fat, including people, is something you would do, but not like this. 
the, the first thing yeah. you would do, the, the, o- the only <laughs> way that this is going to work, okay, let's set aside the bots, let's set aside the harassment, all terrible things. Mm-hmm. Why was Twitter failing? Because it wasn't making money at the level that it should have given what it is. It's important. Given its okay. cultural yeah. importance. Especially if, as an advertiser. If you really right. cared about earning back that $44 billion, the, the thing to do is to make Twitter make money better. I don't know. You could have said, like, what's the best advertising product in the world that we can make? TikTok. <laughs> okay, and, uh, but this, this is my point. This is my yeah. point. I don't see. I can. I can see the argument that some of these things and some of this, like uh, we got to get hardcore, is a way to get there. But he's not telling anyone, including the advertisers, that he needs to keep on board to get to there, to get the runway to get to there. He's not telling the people that he is trying to get to stay on the team to allow him to build the products to get to there. Right? Yeah, I mean, I it, like if I came in and had the same landscape and the same mandate, first thing I do is like, there's only four or five really big ad agencies left, right? And you can call them, if you're the richest guy in the world, you can call them, and you can say, what would it take for you to make the biggest commit you've ever yeah, made to yeah. digital media purchasing, right? Mm-hmm. And so say, I'll come out and I'll shill for you, mm-hmm. and we'll do the tap dancing thing, and I'll get all my friends in line up, what would you want to see? What do we have to ship? And then, then you tell yeah. the whole company, everybody ship this thing, and this is what we're doing. And guess what? All of a sudden, you're in a different place. Now, let's assume he's decided, you know what? Advertising is a chump's game. Mm-hmm. I don't want to play it. I want to move towards something else, be it subscription or whatever. Okay, fine. I think that that's a mistake because you still need the cash coming in as right. you get there. It, it's it's an order of operations thing. But also, it fundamentally misunderstands what... And you said this at the beginning of the conversation. People understand what can and can work in social media. Social media is not a new industry. It's 20 years old. And there is nothing subscription-based thus far that has been able to su- succeed at the scale required. Okay, so, so, so let's uh, – just to steel arm this or steel yeah. man this because I, I agree with what you guys are generally saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, this is why I'm like – I'll give it six months before yeah. I really have a sense for what direction this is going in. Yeah. If this is to be the first subscription-based social media platform yeah. that people are willing to pay for, yeah. one, because most of the other stuff is shit, right? Mastodon is hard, it's confusing, yeah. decentralization is slow, so in terms of like feature evolution and all that stuff, it's very unproven and it's... And also the cultural brand, everybody yeah, yeah. knows the brand, all that, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Right, so so one, let's say that we're, you know, he gets some percentage of people to pay for, for yeah. Twitter, right? Now, if you think about what value iOS and iPhone, et cetera, devices and those customers have, being in the App Store, the fact that Apple is moving into advertising, et cetera, there is a premium, which I imagine you might be able to get for your ads if you are selling your ads to people mm-hmm. who are already mm-hmm. confirmed mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. paid or mm-hmm. have some verification, right? So that now this is actually a more valuable cohort than other platforms that don't have verification or don't require payment. Okay, so that's that's one thing. Highly engaged users are worth more for ads. Highly engaged users, but I'm also the other thing though is is the whatever these large CPG brands that just want to kind of like put their thing out there to whatever. And previously they were advertising to bots and all sorts of other you know fraudulent things or whatever. If in Elon's mind. He imagines ads that are incredibly relevant. Now, maybe he doesn't use Instagram very much because my ads are actually pretty good. Like moving to a world where people are paying to be on the platform, they're verifying their account, the ads that they're seeing, one, they've followed and opted into seeing those brands, and two, it's a matter of boosting that content to be seen by the people that you already have a relationship with. That actually is a pretty valuable advertising 
offering in the marketplace that's somewhat different and unique. And then in terms of just creating like a different, I guess the question is like, what does Twitter kind of want to become? What does it turn into when it is only subscribed users that are interacting with each other? Is it a walled garden type experience that actually elevates everything? Now, the one thing that I'll say before you go, Brian, is, and, and again, this is where I think gener generationally, we might be at that inflection point where it is possible to have a subscription-based social network. When we were working on Google+, we had to make it free because the, and this is actually, I think, one of the big reasons why we failed was that every time we would do designs, we'd bring it into the execs and they would be looking at it at these enormous monitors and displays that were fucking gorgeous in 4K that most of the people who were using Google Plus around the world and in India and everywhere else, they did not have. So our product sucked when it got to mobile, whereas exactly at that moment, Facebook was in lockdown mode, building Facebook for mobile, to that became mobile. the next big computing platform because they were focused on less well-off, poor users, frankly. So if Twitter loses the poor user faction, I don't know what that actually ultimately means for advertising into the platform because that is where a lot of activity and engagement actually comes from. Guys, we don't have to choose between hair growth and our health. Nutrafol's drug-free whole body approach promotes hair growth from within. No compromises, just better hair. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement brand with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 84% of men showed improvement in their hair after six months taking Nutrafol's men's hair growth supplements. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair for a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com slash men and enter the promo code RIDEHOME. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com slash men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com slash men, and enter promo code RIDEHOME. Recently, the world learned the power of artificial intelligence, a technology cybersecurity leaders have been leveraging for years. Now, as AI expands and evolves, those same security leaders are left wondering where humans fit into the next generation of AI-empowered security tools and solutions. Arctic Wolf, the industry leader in managed security operations, seeks to answer this question in their newly published report, The Human-AI Partnership access the insights of over 800 cybersecurity decision makers in North America and the United Kingdom to better understand how organizations are weighing the benefits and risks of deploying AI tools, uncover the biggest obstacles to turning AI and human engineers into a formidable team, discover why the near-term benefits of large language models are being upended by a crucial flaw in the technology, and learn what the rise of AI tools mean for human practitioners moving forward. Get your copy today at arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. The other problem that I have, and I said on the show this week, I would never ever suggest that advertising is a noble industry. <laughs> but I don't think that Elon number one, understands advertising no, I don't think he does at all. or believes in yeah. it as a business. Actually, sorry, I want to say one more thing here, yeah, which is that 
Sure. Or believes in it. Yeah. But the reason is also because Elon is the best advertiser in the world in the sense of he doesn't, Twitter, he doesn't need to buy ads, right? Media. He has yeah, 116 yeah. million yeah, followers. Yeah. He doesn't okay. pay anything. This ties into the second point. And so, but but to, yeah. to finish his thought, if he imagines that brands need to become more like him mm. in the way that they engage mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. so that brands are now people. Trump is an amazing brand advertiser in that sense. In that okay. Trump is the brand. Trump is the advertiser. Okay. He is engaging now, directly to the people. That is the world in which maybe Elon wants people to move. Yeah, but that's not where most of the dollars live. I'm right. There's no insurance company and that's going to be like, we're going to antagonize you on social media. But maybe that's why he hates those brands. I, 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 don't, know. That's, I don't know. That's the that's the Elon is an 11th dimensional chess. <laughs> right, right, right. The galaxy brain argument. Okay, look. Um, to say is you and I have talked about this offline. Like, it's very clear. And again, maybe he says things like this because he is tweaking people and he is a Jedi, you know, meme lord or whatever. Sometimes he's a dick. But you and I have talked on, offline about, I also think that he doesn't have a concept of how other people right. use yeah, actually, Twitter and a, experience Twitter. One. That's okay. right. That's right. And, like. Let me build on that point. Yeah, so, when do you it. have 116 million followers. Yeah. And you tweet. Yeah. The not only like the level of engagement that you get. Yeah. But the insanity. And, and by the way, you two have way bigger follower numbers. Like I never get a bot. I never, and I only occasionally mm. get a troll. And I'm sure you guys well, get way. Well, and more also than like he doesn't get, and it actually even wouldn't matter if he did. He doesn't get people doxing his home address, mm -hmm. threatening mm -hmm. his I mean, kids. They right? doxed his plane. But not all of us have planes. So. Well, also. So what? They're not shooting your plane down, yeah, right? You know sure. what I mean? And, and, and the threat is not the same. The and also, though, even if it were, he, he could resource it. You know what sure, I mean? Sure. You know? he, could, he could scramble some jets. The, exactly. the point that Brian is making, though, is that the experience that Elon has, which he may extrapolate into being the experience that other people have. I, I don't know how many fake accounts he might have to test the service as someone who has 10 followers, 100 followers, or 10,000 followers. But like, but even that, see, imagine that he has that level of rigor about approaching. We know he doesn't. I know. Right? We and also, that also doesn't matter because fundamentally, sure. it, it's the you know ninety ten sure. principle. Sure. Mm. Fundamentally, for Twitter to succeed, the ninety percent of people that just go on there because they want to feel like they're in the room with a, a celebrity, a or smart they person. Know, like what's happening at the basketball? The World game. Cup. The reason the World Cup's going to be a big deal. Yes. I always talk about the soccer, right. the yes. um, Twitter, like. I experience Arsenal games through 200 people that live yes, in Britain that's right. that I've never yeah. met. I do too, and I don't even follow football. Right. So, right? <laughs> so, so the point is, is that it, the, the thing he from day one, his concerns about the Twitter platform were from the point of view of a power user who. Yes, power users contribute and make the platform happen, but the 90% of people yeah. that have to stay there, right, yeah. their experience has to be... I, I think World Cup is the perfect epitomization of yes. what his closed circle doesn't yeah. get in that war room, right? Which is very global. 80% of Twitter users are outside of North America, outside of the U.S., I think, That's right? And... Um, it is ordinary people cheering on their team, just like it's ordinary people watching an awards show, just like right. it's ordinary people doing the, all these the things. The Oscars, right? Yes, and, exactly. and, and like, yes. and I say too, we're like, I have a, I have a disproportionately large network, considering I'm not a famous person. But what I, I get a glimpse of both because I try to use it like everybody else uses it, where I'm like, I'm talking about the stuff I like, but I'm mostly reading, not posting. I'm browsing trending topics. The trending topics had been until very recently pretty good, yeah. right? So I would get, oh, this is a musician that I like, and I'm seeing them and trending, and I know everybody's not. 
not because mm-hmm. they're not that popular, but I'm going to see this yeah. thing and that's really good. Yeah. And already we're starting to see because the moderation teams are gone, yeah. there's more spam tags and things going up. We're going to start to see more, you know, kind of hate tags and things where they had, you know, teams just moderating like, oh, that's a really hateful trend. We're going to curate well, they have that cultural context. They can see it as it's happening. And if that happens and things get worse, the 90% of people go away right. and the brands have already gone away because they're going to be afraid. So again, the fundamental misunderstanding of what the product is to be successful as a business, I see zero evidence. And there's an example I really want to hit, which is um, where we started. There is a 20 plus year history of these things doing, and 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 I know he's in a bubble of people like, well, that's all the people that, that that's all the wokes, and that's the people who don't get it, and that's right. Like we know, and I know because they say it to me, right? And I'm and I'm like, I have a non-zero amount of knowledge here. And and one example I would give you is like his starting point back in April mm-hmm. when he was talking about content policy, which is where the conversation all starts because it's very visible to people, was anything that's legal to say you should be able to say on right. Twitter. And he sort of has done even a variation of that this week, right? And I always come to a very concrete, clear example, a real one, not a contrived one, which is uh, Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. you can be persecuted for being gay. Yeah. And there are LGBTQ teens there mm-hmm. who have been outed mm-hmm. and were persecuted for it, mm-hmm. right? thrown in prison, and they can potentially be executed. Mm-hmm. That speech is completely legal, both there and here, mm-hmm. right? So in the U.S. jurisdiction, as well as in their local jurisdiction. And it's wrong. It is not a thing that you should enable on your platform. And Twitter, to its great credit, one of the things they did when they turned around content moderation five or six years ago, they got really good at it. Mm-hmm. All those people who were in charge of that are gone. 100% of people with domain knowledge about that are gone. Mm-hmm. That is not galaxy brain thinking, and that is not advertiser safe, and that is not the product people want to pay for, that is not how you grow your audience, that is not how you grow your engagement. It is a bad business decision. So that's the thing where like the clarifying argument is like, and he started with a public assertion of a contradiction to the policy that was protecting those kids, mm-hmm. and that is not a thing I made, I made up. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a part. And, and like he's not thinking about Saudi Arabia. Well, he's taking their money, but other than that, he's not thinking about them, right? And so I think that's the part we sort of have to get to, like. I, you know, I love because you sort of steel manning the argument and being intellectually honest about like what what could be their approach. I think those are the conversations they're having. I think the things I'm pointing out right now are the things they don't know to talk about. They don't know what they don't know, and the people in the Look, room with them. You know, don't the funny know. thing is like this is almost exactly where we started when we were talking about crypto and the mistakes that crypto made. <laughs> right. Which is that essentially after the financial crisis, people were upset, reasonably and angry about that. Right. They wanted to create an alternative financialization system mm-hmm. that. You know, got rid of all the guardrails and all the things like that because, man, those other people, they really screwed things up. Yeah. And now we're in the exact same place where there is a belief by some set of people on the internet that think that Twitter and free speech and all the rest is imperiled and so therefore we need to throw out the previous people who were doing it one way, recreate a new system which is a lot more inclusive and allows all sorts of speech. And what they'll find, to your point, is that there are reasons why those things were the way that they were and there will be some big crash that eventually happens as a result of removing those guardrails, which have been finally developed in tune. But it won't hurt them first. And that's that's actually why I get strident about it. Is like I have had like I had people that saw these kids being targeted that said they're like, you're they know me, they're you're visible, and we know you know somebody at Twitter. Can you connect us to whoever can work on this? And you know, I didn't know about the problem. Like I don't I don't follow policy sure, sure, in sure. Saudi Arabia. Yeah, this yeah, wasn't yeah. something where like I'm an expert on this. I was like 
I can. This, find this pattern it. also repeats in right, right, right. There's a million other conditions yeah. you can point to. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, I mean, what's right. What's going on in Iran but, right but, now? Right, exactly. But this was one where I was like, I can connect you to who you need to talk to, and they were able to have that impact. Mm-hmm. And so I feel that was six years ago, mm-hmm. and I think about it all the time yeah. because I'm like, I'm not the API for that. Right, like I shouldn't be the point of sure. contact for that, but that was all they had, and they were in the process of getting things right, and that that capability doesn't exist anymore, and the harm will not befall Musk or anybody in the room with it. I think this is this is like why I'm I'm trying to make this point that I don't know what what Elon Musk thinks Twitter is, and so if he fires everybody and he gets down to a skeleton crew yeah. of mostly engineers, which he's headed towards. Which you know he's, 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 he might be there right now. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And you know he has said and he has tweeted that he prefers creating teams of 150 engineers and that's all he needs and he can like you know launch rockets and he can like build self-driving cars and he can build a Twitter that is what and the what is the thing obviously as you guys were saying there's no roadmap there's no plan we don't know what that is but he's driving towards it and he will give those 150 engineers a mission to go build that thing forgetting all the other things that have been done in the meantime to build up Twitter as this you know, you know, sprawling, kind of very important cultural uh, series of tubes that connects lots of conversations around the world. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know that he cares that much about all those other... The harms. He doesn't yeah. care. Yeah. Because and, 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 they're not visible to him. Right. Well, yeah. And I think that's sort of it, is the accountability is going to come. Mm. If you're the richest person in the world... Mm and you don't even care to be curious about the harms you're causing, history has shown, like, accountability is going to come. I, I just like, And I'm like, I'm his best friend in the world right now, right? I don't think he thinks so. And, and I'm like, Yeah, but see, the problem is that he wants to move fast. He wants to mm-hmm. feel the bleed of, you know, being on the, the edge of something mm-hmm. and, you know, creating something whole cloth that is new that didn't exist before. Yeah. And the problem is that you're, as you bring these things up, it creates these vagaries. Yeah. These, these great right. complexities in the is, real world. I mean, this is, I think you sent me the tweet about clocks and clouds and yeah. it's very well stated. Yeah. This that, is a cloud problem. And he wants to engineer the shit out of this clock. And, and that's and, what he knows how to do. Yeah. And I, I come back to that too, because like, I'm, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for a while. I've done a couple platforms that have gotten to millions of users, maybe tens of millions. But not, you know, that's not scale anymore, right? Only having sure. raised, yeah. only having raised tens of millions of dollars and, and have yeah. tens of millions of customers is, is yeah. <laughs> you know. But I, I come from an era when that was a big platform, it was, yeah. and um, and I'm fine. Like I, I, I like being where I am. But I think there's a part of like uh, the industry at that level cannot conceive of there being domain knowledge mm. from people they haven't heard of mm. that might know what they're talking about. And so there's a there's a big part of this. This is about well, who's really in charge here, and where is this power dynamic? And and those of us who think like maybe devolve some power to your workers and to the people on your platform and share with them agency in building what you're building is not a radical concept. Like I am not a radical. I mean, that's I mean, one of the things I always come back to. It's like I am like a middle aged dad who's been in the industry for a hundred years. I have gray hair in my beard. I I have done a bunch of companies. Raised money, like I'm not a radical. Like I'm a really moderate person. And to, if you say these basic things, you ought to take care of your workers. You ought to consider the harms about the platform you're building. The industry leaders, the tycoons, have radicalized themselves so much that you're seen as an extremist for saying these basic things that are middle of the road and always were, and are globally middle of the road too. And I think that's the thing that is like the big takeaway. Like Twitter, whatever, it survives, it doesn't. Like 
we'll, we'll muddle through either way. But the fact that the, this handful of people have so radicalized themselves at the top to where I haven't changed, you know, in that regard in 20 years. And now all of a sudden I'm an extremist for saying the same shit I was saying 20 years ago. I just like, but like, when we go, when we go back to like the purchase price of this thing and how Twitter was losing money, I, I guess the thing that I struggle Twitter was with, making money. I mean, not consistently and reliably, reliably and not... But it has the ability to make money. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm saying something a little bit different, which yeah. is, you know, at that purchase price, which was an inflated purchase price. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, and Brian, as you've been saying, how does this thing end up making the right amount of money that it should be able to make? It can't. It can't. The math doesn't work. Are you saying... So, sorry. You're saying that there is a, a ceiling to how much money Twitter could ever make. Yes. The only way... Bought, he bought at the top of a, of a, a platform okay, that and in fact, this monetization. The only way he can win is if it, five years from now, they can take it public again at a, a, above a $100 Correct. billion dollar valuation. Okay? Yes. This is, I'm going to transition because sure. we, we got we to gotta shift right. gears to, to bring <laughs> this conversation down. But let me, let me say this. If he does that, hats off to him because as I said on the show mm-hmm. th- this week, yep. if Twitter dies, my job is infinitely harder. I am rooting for Twitter to win. It's a huge cultural loss. I'm rooting for him to succeed. Hats off to him if he does it. I'll eat my hat. (laughs) Uh, I'm rooting for Twitter to succeed. I want what it is culturally to the many communities it serves to to persist. Um, Well, the function of Twitter. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, this is my gear shift. I have two people with incredible knowledge in this domain. And I've said to you obliquely a couple times over the last couple of weeks, but uh, yes. I, and I haven't said on the show a lot, <laughs> but uh, uh-huh. why can't someone just do a straight Twitter clone right now? And you're going to give me all the reasons why this is impossible. <laughs> yeah. But there is, again, let, let me get to my Arsenal podcasts and my all my soccer podcasts. All they talked about this week before the World Cup was they also talked about, shit, are we going to have to find an alternative to Twitter? There is a hunger. Yeah. And not just Every for time I've talked reasons. to civilians in the last three weeks, they've asked me about this. Where do I go? Yeah. Why can you not just spin up an exact Twitter clone that does everything that Twitter did, say, two months ago, and why couldn't that succeed? You, you can, and people are, mm-hmm. and it's a hard problem. And, and there's a couple reasons why. Um, the first thing to start with, um, think about when you signed up for Instagram. Did you... Go to the app store, search for photo sharing app, and then evaluate all the available apps based on which had the best filters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or did you sign up for whether one of your friends were Actually, I kind of did, but that's another story. And I know so, Chris did. So, so we know you're an anti-indicator. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But nor, the other billion other people, people yes, right. the other billion people who showed up were like, that's where my friends are. Or family or whatever. Right. And so, so this is the challenge of baking the, the not, not the Twitter killer, the Twitter successor. There's, there's a set of criteria. So first is like technologically you do it. I actually think it's easier than ever, right? And this is a little bit talking my book. I mean, literally, like I feel like, like five or ten people have already done it. They yeah, yeah, it yeah. I mean, like, so like, I, yeah, exactly. Like I work at Fastly and it's an edge platform and I'm like, I could see people putting together. Well, because like a lot of the hard problems of when Twitter was created 15 yes, years ago, it's like global distribution and real-time communication. It, like you, you effectively have to build a decentralized architecture even though it's a centralized service. Yeah. Uh, mobile clients, like all those things. 
those answers are one million times better than they were Almost 15 years ago. Almost just pull it off the shelf and yeah, just Yeah, I mean, the, well, people it. build a, I mean, I've like, seen literally they're like yeah. GitHub repos. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Twitter clones right. in them. Exactly. Right. This is what I'm saying. It's like, in I, all yeah. the languages. Right. This is, right. This is not me like right. talking my book, but like working at Fastly, I see what people build there. So like yeah. the lens I have is like, that is hello world. That is where you start by building. Yeah. So, yes. so, and like, will that scale to 250 million users? No. But could you get millions of users? Could you get the scale of what Mastodon has had in the last couple of weeks? 100%. Yeah. 100% you could do that with off-the-shelf yeah. stuff and like your mobile app wouldn't be as polished but it would be pretty good and also you know maybe you pick green instead of blue right but, but like the trade dress wouldn't be the same but could you duplicate the experience yes now there's a couple things first is um, you're duplicating a company that has consistently lost lots and lots of money for a long time except for the rare cases when it's made money so that's a that's a scary thing to do the second part You're is about the business, right? Side of it. Right. Okay. But then there's also a really hard part, which a lot of um, people who are uh, maintaining Mastodon communities are seeing, which is, okay, uh, how do I handle DMCA takedown requests? How do I handle global copyright? Okay, so you're talking claims. about the regulations that yeah. now exist, and, and not even regulations, but well, let's, let's include stuff. Right. Let's include like, regulations. Right, right. And even also, even yeah. if we like hand wave away, you've got a lawyer in every country in the sure. world, right? which is a non-trivial problem. You get to the complexities yeah. of. Um, Separate from law, practice and policy. Like, what do we have to do about this? Because we talk about regulators, but you care as much about the MPAA and the RIAA as you care about regulators. And so, like, the complexity of that surface area, there's a community of practice of people that do trust and safety around the world. Just trust and safety, right? It's great, really incredible community, very thoughtful and sharing. Clearly, none of, none of those people who do that are still at Twitter. And also nobody who runs Twitter knows about that stuff. So if you're doing new Twitter, you have to go from zero to fluent in that. Wait, wait, I want to I like get some clarity on, on yeah. Brian's point, though, because I, I agree with and Yeah. And then, anyway, there's 10 more of those. Yeah, things. you could go down that list. Yeah, yeah. I, wanna, I could also say that a lot of those people are looking for a job right now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Anyway, go So on, then go you on. need some money. But, but yeah. my specific question to you, though, Brian, is like when you say clone Twitter, mm -hmm. it implies so much. I and understand. If we were to go back to 2006 and clone Twitter, Okay, maybe. Do you and want me to were, be specific? Because I can. I, I will in a second. Yeah. Uh, because there were several clones. There was yeah. Pounce. There was Brightkite. Yeah. There was any number of these <laughs> that had more features, yeah. more functionality. You can import your friends, yeah. et cetera, yeah. and so yeah. forth. Yeah. So there was even an era, you know, when, when Twitter was shit and was going down all the time. I, it was know, part of the market. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, right? I remember. So there were several yeah. of these things. I remember. And so when you say clone Twitter and you say there's an opportunity, I just I want you to unpack that a little bit more to be a little bit more okay. like, precise, both about the job to be done and whether you're thinking about this just from a product perspective, from a platform perspective, or from a business perspective. The creators um, want to rebuild their, their followings somewhere where they can do that, okay. where they can post and accumulate followers that will see what they post. Okay. The 90% want to follow celebrities, want to follow probably the exact same people that they're following on Twitter. Or culture makers, if not celebrities, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. right, or smart guys, you know, sure. like, I, I want to yeah. follow, follow this nuclear physicist. Right, pu pu right, or a public yeah. intellectual, or an or athlete, the or the 90 else. great people that I have accumulated that I think know about Arsenal sure. in the right way <laughs> when a game <laughs> yeah. is happening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the fandoms, all that stuff. The 10% the, the of the people are, are nervous are looking for a place, maybe they're not ready to jump ship, but they're looking for a place to hedge their bets. Mm. So in the past, that ecosystem of other Twitter clones, there wasn't that incentive for those people to go. There is now, mm. okay? And then as long as they can do the same things and replicate, and, and I'm talking post, 
post pictures, yeah. have replies. That's yeah, it. The core functionality. I do believe that they would evangelize and get a, a huge chunk of those of their followers. If I'm over here now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it might and not, it's possible. Yeah. So, so I think there's a there's a couple. And I, let me be specific. Yeah, sure. And I'm not saying that would kill Twitter, but I'm saying there would be a competitor. Right. Yeah. So so technologically. It's 100% over. Yeah. There's no argument about that. And there are, and, and interestingly, because the barriers that come down on doing that stuff, there are probably thousands of people in yeah. the industry who could build a workable, mm-hmm. you know, be the center of a team building a workable right. version of that. Right. I, I think you layer around that all the other concerns I talked about, the, the regulatory, social, uh, you know, uh, and, and related concerns. That is a thing that you have to invest millions of dollars in. And so you have to have some source for those millions of dollars and you get back into the business model question, right? And part of what is interesting about why, why is Mastodon de facto taking place for this for some audience, especially the folks that we talk to, is um, it distributes that burden. Yeah. And that is actually closer to the nature of how the internet and the web were supposed yeah, to yeah, work. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it there are some advantages. Now there are disadvantages because all, you're gonna have like 50 people that are managing big instances now that have never dealt with any of those problems we just listed. So, you know, I, I, I don't, I think, I think people are underestimating how rough it's going to be if Mastodon continues to scale. Like, no, wait, wait, I, I want to like unpack that though, because like there's, there's some aspects of this that I think are interesting and worth considering and Mastodon is worth talking about because it is, you know, one, it has a six year head start on yeah. anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Two, it's like open source and out there. You know, three. There is some usage, it's pretty good, and it's it's fine. Like, yeah. let's say that you get, you know, five or six there. So my understanding is that Twitter's design team has gone from ninety down to two. Mm-hmm. So if you take those eighty-eight designers or some small percentage of them, and you throw them at Mastodon for, let's say, a sprint or two, yeah. or maybe five, you know, a some of those weeks they could make a transform. Yeah, they could really like make the product like that much better. And you know, if you've got like several hundred thousand dollars lying around, and you you know want to give Elon the finger, maybe that would be the thing you should do. So presuming that all happens, my question to you uh, is about the likelihood of that style of abuse, given the size of these servers. Now, if you have servers that are you know multi millions of people, maybe those become targets. Right. But the whole aspect of an intention behind decentralization mm-hmm. is to create more surface area than you can possibly police. This is like the neighborhood model. And so yeah. if those servers, you know, just like in Reddit forums or other contexts, create the mechanisms by which people do self police. And the problem becomes diffuse as opposed to concentrated as it has been on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. Then does that actually negate it, some it, of the it, concerns that you're It changes up? it, right? So we're seeing, we're already seeing targeted harassment of black women on Mastodon, right? Yeah. And um, by the same actors who were kicked off of Twitter for it. But right? so, so what we don't, I don't know that we've seen yet is the hardening of Mastodon to create no, defenses. Well, well, right, that's what I'm saying. That but, might allow those there's servers. So, there's, right. There's sort of two. There's two layers. One is there the is like. Some, but, um, yeah. the, the practice teaching people who use Mastodon right. and who maintain right. Mastodon at, right. you know, servers, yes. how do all those people learn about the one, this is a anti-pattern yeah. behavior, the bad behavior that exists, this is how you deal with it. Like, there's people, you know, there's a, um, a new uh, instance for journalists that stood up by a bunch of journalists. It's great, I'm glad they're doing it. Right. And none of them have ever admin to community before, right. which yeah. I'm like, this I'm, is I'm, not the time or the place where I'm already seeing the fights and people it's that are absolutely, pissed, yeah. it, And they're gonna hit, you know, the every red flag. It's actually funny because it parallels the crypto world in a lot of ways where you're like, you know, there's a reason people have been doing this for a long time, yeah. right, learn, but whatever, they're, they're gonna no. learn, or they yeah. won't. One of those, um, but but to that point, somebody whose primary job is not maintaining online communities, 
This is, this is sort of the Steve Ballmer quote. They're not just going to walk in here with the iPhone. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But I look at this, we're like, so, you know, my day job is I, I among other things, I, I lead the team that does Glitch, and it's a community for building apps, right? And we have uh, millions of developers on the platform and, and many, many millions of apps. And do you guys have a trust and safety team? Yeah, yeah. How and, big is it? Um, on Glitch itself, it's a handful of people. It's only one or two people, but we leverage Fastly, which can look at the entire internet. Okay, I just like want to point out, like one to two people for like millions of users. Right. Whereas in the case of so let me let me tell you the example though. The reason why it's only a handful one, and it's also been different sizes over the years. The reason why it's a handful of people is what we did proactively to prevent harms based on knowing how networks work. Sure. So if you were starting a Twitter style network, which is very open and also. You know, to your point, if you're like straight cloning Twitter, you're allowing quote tweets, you're allowing amplification, you're allowing trending yeah. topics. Yeah. Those are massive vectors for abuse. You have to have a team. We're also very pointedly English only on Glitch because we have a high degree of fluency in the way English is used globally, so we can understand what an attack is in the stack, as opposed to Facebook, which yeah, exactly, right. perhaps is no idea. right. Exactly. Like they yeah. don't have staff that could they speak the language, yeah, exactly. right? And, and so we know what happens. And yeah. so we've been very intentional about where we do and don't scale. Also. Our like we are a foreign audience. We're for coders, and so English isn't really a yeah. barrier globally there. Right. So anyway, but that's stuff where like we did a lot of proactive work of like we're, there's audiences we chase off yep. just by the design or the the, yep. the the preemption. People are not thinking about Mastodon that way. Right? So mm -hmm. people that are running a new Mastodon server because they were excited and heady with the new days of a new platform are not like. Here's the way we put up a barrier because what we learned from like a 20-year-old community like Metafilter right. was if you have this this yep. barrier on the way, you cut off certain vectors of abuse. And that community of practice, like the people who are the trust and safety professionals have not had the time or the bandwidth to go and write it all down and hear what to learn. Even if they did, they wouldn't because then the bad actors would see it. Yeah. And then the people who are running the new things are going to go headlong into the same problems and be burnt out by it. There's like 90% of people that ever do this work get burned out by it because the platforms are not designed to reduce the abuse. I mean, and, and, and the big platforms, you deal with far worse than burnout. I mean, there's self-harm and really So, I mean, I, I think this, this, it does, it just like circles me back to this question though, like to, to Brian's point, you know, what is the investable idea perhaps, if yeah. that is the idea yeah. uh, in this realm? And, you know, I think to all the things that you're saying, I think Milai Patel, you know, had a really useful observation, which is that these centralized social platforms now their product is content moderation. Yes. It yeah. is, yeah. you know, the, the curation sort of, and, and, yeah, and it's management. The, it's the fancy mall versus sort of like the sort of strip mall. <laughs> and yeah. which experience do you want and how much investment do you want to put into that? And that the differentiation of that experience is content moderation. So so yeah. the when, thing it, comes, that I, when I, it comes to Mastodon and understanding it as a technology, I don't think the benefit of what Mastodon offers is necessarily content moderation in so much as it is about creating a separate space, which then you can decide to what degree you want to do the moderation and how big do you want to grow it. And I agree with you that at some point, if you scale to the right level or if you have ambitions for having trending topics and for having a large mass of people, suddenly the gameplay of being there changes yeah. and it becomes more performance than interaction. And this is the thing that I think is funny in the sort of Musk you know, contingent where they're like, well, why are all these people that are not engineers here? It's like, because engineers have the hard problem. <laughs> exactly. And, and, not and, anymore. And, and, right? And, 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 you know, sort of different from the, if you're doing rocket ships, they're like, oh, this right. isn't rocket science. And it's like, well, nobody's trying to knock the rocket down. Right. When you right. Like, and you're only yeah. doing one rocket at a time. Yeah. And it's like, if you were launching a million rockets at once yeah. and there are all and there's millions of people that want to stop yes, the rockets, exactly. yeah. you get a different problem. Yes. But, but I do think, um, you know, the good news is we're in a moment of flourishing. 
and it does feel a little bit like the, the, the transition from Web 1.0 to Web 2.0. We're in a moment of withering a little bit, but okay. Well, in terms of social media, this is the most uh, um, potentially vibrant moment for new explore, new exploration, uh, new approaches. Because there are multiple because, players. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. It, well, the, Facebook having lost the plot and gone wandered yes. and being yeah, the leaders are sort of right. and, up and, game. And so what I look at, like, yes. I want to think that the things was most promising to me was looking at, like, you know, Matt Mullenweg and Automatic asking questions about what would Tumblr do if it was going to integrate with the Fediverse, mm-hmm. right? Like, we've never had it's ever... so mind-blowing. It, it is, like, we have... about, like, where some of our efforts started. Exactly. With Matt. Right. And with WordPress. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is stuff that... And, and what Chris is alluding to is, like, banging our heads against the wall with the same people 10 and 15 years ago. To try and, to solve some of these problems. Uh, with the hope that from we were going to preempt these problems from arising, right? <laughs> and, and, and... But, but you know, whatever. We live whatever. and we learn. And, Humans but, are good at fixing things as the thing is on fire, not, you know, adding fire retardants. Well, and also they have different goals at different points, but part of the reason I was optimistic about that was, one, we've never seen, ever, any scale social network come back. Mm. That's a really mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. thing. I would love to see... Tumblr. Uh, yeah, yeah. You Tumblr, right? Can you but Tumblr I love, because I knew, you know, I mean, I knew David before uh, uh, Tumblr existed. Is he know? still there? He's still in orbit. I don't know what he does, okay. but like he, you know, he's, he's he he cares about it. Okay. And 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 but the point is, like, I had that affinity for like I'm glad this thing exists, sure. right? right? And and so like the idea of something coming back is really interesting. The other thing is like they have the trust and safety infrastructure, they have the re- legal infrastructure, they have the scaling infrastructure, they have all these kinds of things. So that's part of what makes me excited. It's like, what are the places that already have? that infrastructure mm. and they could build sure. a network and I think about unexpected challengers arising right Wikipedia or or Internet Archive or other places that are doing mm. scale content moderation scale community management scale legal infrastructure to which we could add social again I, I, forgive me for always coming at it from this angle but what would stop Facebook from doing a Twitter clone? What would stop Microsoft from doing a Twitter clone? The, the hardest part, which is people have to want to be at your party. Yeah. And nobody the wants Facebook to... party is kind of... Nobody wants to party with Facebook, right? Yeah. And, and it's the wild thing. You see it even with the, the, the metaverse stuff that they're doing. Yeah. They're throwing a lot of money still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even after all the downsizing and shakeout and all that stuff. They're throwing a lot of money at creators. It, and, it, and it's yeah. just like flop sweat, man. It's, yeah. it's, it's like you get to see the desperation. Yeah. And you're like, nobody cool wants to be there. The one, the one, one more thing that I want to bring up before you yeah. mess up, yeah. you know, is in terms of the training that people went through during the pandemic to become better with some of these moderation tasks, I think Discord has been a really good training ground for a lot of people. Yeah. And to the degree that Discord and Slack have you know created these spaces that people have some ownership and control of, and then they kind of make these bespoke we you taught know, people how to be admins. People have been exactly. educated at yeah. how to do it. So in terms of yeah. a non-professional class yeah. developing those skills. That's so funny. It, well, that's sort of, it is the sense of like, in the 90s we had this, and yeah. in the 2000, early 2000s we yeah. had this, where like, yeah. even people that had like blogs in the era of peak blogs would have like, I'm going to moderate my community and manage right. and that kind of thing. And there was folk knowledge that right. would come from that of like, mm-hmm. well, this is, oh, you deal with this and this right. is, and this is what... Going the, back the, to BBSs. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And, and you know, the term shadow banning mm-hmm. came from that community practice in the early 2000s. Like, it's funny, it's like the boogeyman mm-hmm. for like, mm-hmm. the, the folks who were building conspiracy theories around this stuff. But it came from, or, or hell banning, like all these different concepts came from different approaches to dealing with these things because we have decades of yes. history in doing this. Now, the thing I say to you know the people I talk about this all the time is those of us who did that work then 
our lousy elders. We mm. did a horrible yeah. job of right. passing on the practice. I think there was a lot of paranoia and also a lot of fatigue. Yeah. But also, um, that knowledge got sort of strip mined by the people that built these. Well, there was also just you know, sort of like this newness and this dire, like desire to build things again, like the crypto thing. Like yeah. Building new and building fresh is so much more fun and so much more exciting and so much more exhilarating until you run up against the yeah. realities that the elders would have taught you. And yeah, it's so funny because I get this where like, so Glitch is you know, five years in now yeah. and people are like, oh, well, you got acquired and what are you doing? And I was like, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're just getting started. Like we're five years yeah. in and I feel like we're doing this thing. And they're like, what are you talking about? I was like. All these communities I love took five years to get, yeah. you know, like even, like, forget, like Reddit, like all mm. oh, the front page of the internet, whatever, was dead dead after yeah. five years. Yeah. Was, that was the one that probably did come back. Was coasting that's, away at, at, at Condé Nast, Dig was dominant, yeah. like all that kind of stuff. And yeah. it's like the neglect of, of right. the, the, the mainstream let it kind of evolve. And also they did a million mistakes about content moderation, a million mm -hmm. mistakes around advance. All, like I'm not dismissing all that, but it is a valuable resource. Both Twitter exists. and Reddit went through that reckoning and Facebook to some degree in terms yeah. of turning on the con content moderation skill set. Yeah. And that and, didn't exist before. And, and I also look at this where like part of my experience on this is informed by, I, I was on the board of Stack Overflow from the beginning until when it um, was acquired last year. And this is the you know largest community of developers yeah. that's ever existed yeah. in the world. And uh, I think it's still a top 100 website. Yeah. I mean, it is a big website, right? It's huge. And it's mostly based around sharing accurate information with each other, which is, again, a radical idea. It's basically like community notes right, as a product. Right, right. And, like, and the thing, the evolution they had to make was, like, how do you make the admins and mods not be such tyrants, right? They're kind of dicks about it, but you want them to be mm -hmm. nicer. Mm -hmm. But, like, of all the problems to have, yeah. Yeah. that's probably the one you want versus they're letting it be a free-for-all or there's a bunch of Nazis answering my question about how do I write this in JavaScript or, you know, like, like that kind of thing that could have arisen. And so we have examples. We have examples that have been around for years. We have examples of how to do this stuff. None of those folks have tried to be generalized social media and for good reason because you want to have a community that's a purpose. But that idea of there's a new flourishing, mm. I would not have guessed. I mean, like, mm. you know, again, Chris, you and I had Mastodon accounts six years ago, yeah. right? And I was still posting, right? I was, you know, it's like like uh, tumbleweeds and crickets, right? <laughs> but but it was like, I, you can't stop me. I don't need an audience. I just need to post. <laughs> but, but that idea that, like, what I saw three weeks ago, we had a guy, Luca Hammer, went on Glitch all over the weekend, built an app that lets you find your Twitter friends on Glitch. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And two weeks straight, this has been the most popular app on wow. Glitch, out of mm -hmm. millions and millions wow. of apps on Glitch. Wow. And I think the last I heard from him, like three quarters of a million people had used it to go and find mm -hmm. their connections wow. on Mastodon, wow. right? And it's like, there's so many stacked layers to what's interesting there. One is, Mastodon was just there lying dormant, yep. waiting, you know, like for all those nerds who were like, I'm gonna do this because, yep. They hadn't gotten as burned out as I think Chris, you and I had on the <laughs> open stuff, right? We're really like cynical. Thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was like, well, I all, honestly, I'd sort of lost faith. I was like, I, you know, the open shit, I believe yeah. in it, but man, maybe that moment has passed, right? right. So that's right. one part. Yep. The other part was, I, I, I'm old fashioned, but I still am amazed at like a guy, a person on a weekend mm. can make a thing mm -hmm. and then people use it. And the only thing that had given me any hope on that, literally in the last five years, other than like my day job working on Glitch was uh, Wordle, 
Rudolph. But at the beginning yeah. of this year, this is a really important thread to tie together. Mm-hmm. The beginning of this year, the hottest app in the world that everybody yeah. was talking about was Wordle. Mm-hmm. And it's made by one guy right. here in Brooklyn yeah. for his partner as an act of love. Mm-hmm. And people forget. And it's a web page. Yeah. It's yeah. a web page. Yeah. He made a web page. Yeah. <laughs> and his, you know, and, and, his, and his partner's like, that's a good web page. And then everybody in the world, like my mom, is texting me about Wordle, right? Yeah. And and it doesn't have any login, and it doesn't have any social networking, and it won. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you can make internet, you can make internet, mm-hmm. and people will use it, that's the beginning of this year. And this year it's gonna end with, you can make internet. Yeah. And this is the first time in 20 years where the, the, the beginning and the end of the story is some person made a thing, mm-hmm. and you can use it, and it's not owned by a trillion dollar company, and you can have some agency and some control and some consent over what happens and you will find happiness there on the other side of it and Wordle is not going to shoot back hate at you and, and stress you out. And the same is true for a lot of people's experience on this sort of new flourishing social. Want a better way to simplify your business finances across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? If so, Ramp could be a complete game changer. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spend. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Ramp's accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so you don't have to. You'll never have to chase down a receipt again and your employees will no longer spend hours submitting expense reports. The time you'll save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books eight times faster. Ramp's also saves you money. Businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. Ramp is easy to use. Get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. And now, get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash techmeme. Ramp.com slash techmeme. R-A-M-P dot com slash techmeme. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. I, I mean, I think what'll be interesting to see, I think to, to tie it into Brian, what I think you're going to bring up, yeah, we'll uh, this, yeah, is whether or not that is the case where it is individuals creating little apps, serving their themselves and their own communities, and sort of like the very kind of like lowercase internet that yeah. used to be, yeah, 
a network of networks, if a network, you will. If you will, you know, where you know we used to write the HTML by hand, yeah, uh, you know, and then send little links around, yeah, or. Will it be someone that does have funding? Will it be the person that hires all the ex Twitterati? Will it be someone that has been at Google and you know has exited or whatever? And they bring to this, you know, ostensibly some big guns to build something that is, you know, quite monolithic and large. I, I just I want to say, Neil, that I love the idea that you know it. it OGs like us like to say, you know, you can run your own server, you can run your own domain, yeah, you can bullshit. run your right. right yeah. But maybe we have taught enough people to be mods and, and admins. Yeah. That maybe yeah, that might be the skill set that's actually needed. Right. right. Maybe that will allow the Cambrian right. explosion or the right. Okay. I uh, I want to end with this because I want to specifically thank the audience. The reason that I'm on yes. post is because the audience got me to number one on the sign-up list. But, and also, I want to be very clear, I'm not an investor. Yeah. Gnome, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm willing to be. <laughs> um, but so this is um, post.news. Yeah, I keep seeing links to it. Tell yes. me about it. Exactly. And it is, obviously, I'd love you guys to look at it, but that wouldn't be good for an audio <laughs> show. Right. Um, but if you can see right here, it's... Uh, so Gnome it was looks very pouncy. Was the founder of um, oh, Ways, mm -hmm. and um, but so it has. We've had him on the show. We've had him on the show, which is why yes, um, yes. and and he and I have been DMing. See a lot of cats, which yep. suggests that the the genetic material. Okay, is but so familiar. the the basis is here in terms of the likes. Oh, we've got some micropayments in there, and the replies, yeah. and like so. For example, Reuters has been on here. Politico got on here today. Huh. Um, so, uh, uh, vibe feels a oh, little bit look, like Colin got on. He didn't even need me to. <laughs> okay, the vibe feels a little bit like Tumblr to me. Okay, a little bit of that. You yeah. get you get the replies though. I'm, I can't find one with a reply as I'm scrolling down right here. But um, so it's it's a bare bones basis of what Twitter is, where there's a lot of posts of stories, a lot of posts of pictures. Are the hashtags even linked? Hashtags don't exist yet. Ah, oh, fuck this. Search platform. doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? You, you've lost Chris. You've lost Chris. What's up? I'm out. Um, That's my whole thing, man. I'm gonna have to buy it and then make it my so own. So let me tell you, uh, Gnome's uh -huh. update uh, 20 hours ago was. Search we don't have yet, so that's one of the that biggest problems familiar. right now. Yeah, okay, uh, sure. That yep. you can't find people. See if he just has hashtags. Right now, the there is no personalized feed. It's just is a, a bugger feature. It's a fire hose of okay. uh, everybody Everything. posting. Uh -huh. um, notifications is coming, and publishers are coming. Right now, there are 500 people in as of the time that he posted this. But next week, we hope to open up much more aggressively as we release yeah, the he's, core he's missing have functionality. Have with, with so, Kara and yeah. I'm curious not. why. I mean, I'm glad he's doing it. It's yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, I'm admittedly somewhat jaded about this stuff. <laughs> it feels like another blogging tool. Uh -huh. Right? Uh -huh. So if I have a, a medium and a Tumblr okay. and a WordPress. Yeah. Yes. You haven't talked to him, right? So Okay. You? So first of all, uh -huh. we've been DMing. Okay. And the I, I told him, give me 30 minutes notice, day or night, come on the show uh -huh. and tell me what you want to do. Cool. Tell, me, tell yeah. me what the plan is. He said, uh -huh. right. when, when I get yeah. uh, my head above water. Yeah. I have a theory because if you see in here, tips yeah. is part of it. Yeah. I think, what happens when you click on that button? Uh, so everybody, everybody, <laughs> when you sign up, you get fifty points, ah. and then you can spend them. So, so this to is be clear, these are points, not tokens. 
These are internet points. Yeah, these are internet points. Yeah. Yeah, points I, I internet. don't believe it's on the blockchain. <laughs> we used to call them rep. But this is what <laughs> yeah. I want to talk to him about. My theory is, yeah. is that, so this is a, a reply that he did that I, I okay. saw earlier today. Any newsroomer creator will eventually be able to set a price, a micropayment paywall, or ask for donations. 100% of the revenue goes to them. So imagine you integrate the Substack, you integrate the, the, the publishers onto the platform, allowing them to... I think that he had this idea six months ago, a year ago, to do this, the micropayments and the integrating of the tip jars, tip jars and things like that. Yeah. But I would say to him, if he's listening right now, what we said 30 minutes ago, or what I said 30 minutes ago, don't worry about that right now. Mm. <laughs> Spin up a functional Twitter mm -hmm. as fast as you can, because I think people are hungry for it. I, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things is like, the, the, the question with any startup any platform is the what do you have to believe right mm. and and like uh, you know if you're talking about building a blogging tool preach you're yeah. preaching to the choir right? I don't, I'm like, that's all, all <laughs> I've been doing is before. making text boxes yeah. for 20 years right so so plus I, I mean I, so so just so the audience knows like do you want to just say a little bit about six apart yeah sure so um, what, I, what was it yeah I mean well uh, just to sort of start my story I started blogging in 99 um, and right after I was writing HTML by hand, right after that, Blogger launched, which was the first really sort of consumerized yep. tool. And um, uh, around the same time, LiveJournal launched, uh, which was the first social network to reach 10 million users. At that time, it was an enormous scale and invented the technologies to so use. So I was doing that happily for a while. And then my friends made the first sort of professional blogging tool called Movable Type. Uh, and, and I was you know, the first employee and wrote the business plan. And, and we went from wouldn't it be cool if we made something people could use to publish to being the tools powering, you know, Gawker and Huffington Post and the sort of first whole wave of, you know, serious blogs, quote unquote, serious blogs, um, and, and catalyzed that, that media. And, and that, you know, like really set the stage for like the market that now WordPress, you know, really runs and, and, and a lot of that sort of space. And, and eventually we acquired LiveJournal. And so it was really one platform that at its peak was probably 20 million people blogging across these different platforms. But also, you know, the other things wrapped around it. In 2003, we built a consumer pay model explicitly so we wouldn't have to do ads, right? Because AdWords and AdSense didn't exist was one reason, but also... I remember, this is one of the things I think, you know, because I was poor and whatever, and I got to Silicon Valley, and like, movable type was like expensive. Yeah, and, you yeah. Know, Matt, oh, we got shellacked for it. People hated it. Yeah. And the expensive was $90. Right, like the, the per month or yeah, no? The, the, you could buy, buy the software. You okay. would buy the software. This is like before there were rentals and right, right. And then and then yeah. and then we did a hosted service, which was TypePad, but it's basically like what WordPress right. is right. now. TypePad. And that was five bucks a month. But the key thing about it was we said, It's like Twitter Blue. But. Yeah, exactly. We said five bucks a month, and the, the key things were, well, one, it was the first. Uh, I think it was the first consumer service that uses AWS, uh, oh. and it was. Um, explicitly that we didn't want to require ads or put ads on your blog. We made a tool you could put ads on your blog and take money for it. And then we did tip jars mm -hmm. for PayPal, right? And so, and none of this is like, oh, I think all of this was like, all of us were talking about this, right? And, 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 and Ev Williams and his team at Blogger were talking about it. We were talking about it doing movable type. You know, uh, you know, Matt Mullenweg was taking notes. He was 18 years old then, right? So like he sort yeah. of, it was a little while until he could do WordPress and make it, you know, into what automatics become. But there was a whole community of people talking about these things. And there is, again, 20 years of practice talking about how do you build a site and how do you put these things together and how do you enable people to publish and what are the problems you're going to encounter. And also, 
on LiveJournal then, the people who were leading the attacks and the, and the, and the harm and the raids on people are still the people animating this now, yeah. right? The, right? The bad actors are still the bad actors. got older. Yeah, yeah. And they find another people. I have to interject real quick. My third startup might have done a little bit of spamming as our <laughs> of live journal as our uh, sort of uh, growth hack. But Thanks for that, man. Appreciate yeah, that. This was in late 2004. I didn't know you were my opponent. Anyways, me. But I mean, that's just, I think yeah. that's the sort of thing. Is like there, there was the point of learning, right? Yeah. Like that, 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 that. You know, the antagonism of the market mm-hmm. uh, teaches you things. Where you so like one of the reasons that glitch has less of a burden in maintaining some of the harm, you know, protect, preventing some of the harms, is we just anticipated entire vectors of abuse. Right. And, and also, the thing that we learned, I think one of the most instructive things, this is a really good example of the like unexpected dynamics, is MoogleTab was really the first large-scale social media platform that allowed comments. And a couple key things. One is, when we changed the size of the comments box, mm-hmm. the length of comments changed. Mm-hmm. Right, and you think about like nowadays, the majority of photos that have ever been taken by humans are now square, mm-hmm. yep. and that's really only changed in the last couple of years. It's because of Instagram's default, yep. right? Yep. And 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 the same goes where comments essentially basically had no links in them until after AdWords was released by Google, mm-hmm. and links started to have monetary value in page rank, and yep. link spam started. Yep. So Google was able to inflict a cost on the entire ecosystem by not anticipating the harm of a design decision that they made. Later on, they just sort of said, well, we don't care because we've become the most successful startup in history. Uh, but at the time, you know, they were very well-intentioned. They were sort of talking about it. And we had a techno-idealist vision that we were going to get together and be like, well, we'll just label the comment box and say links in here don't count to Google. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Turns out the spammers don't really obey. Yeah. They're like, let me flag mm-hmm. I'm spamming here. And the right. in the box, they'll just, it, yeah, exactly. put shit in it. Exactly. Yeah. And so, we, you know, in 2004 is when that conversation happened. And we were like, oh, it turns out you can't tech your way out of a social problem or an economic problem. So we took that to heart. And, and Matt Mullenweg took that to heart. And David Karp, when building Tumblr, anticipated that and mm-hmm. took that to heart. And Ev Williams took that to heart in building Medium. And so you have, you know, many, many others. But like the, that cohort of people, one, we would all sit in a room together and talk about what are the problems you're having, what are we encountering, we're all trying to enable the same thing. That's not happening, there's not community practice around this stuff. And frankly, there was also a real big lag in the degrees and timing of which everybody brought on that trust and safety team and did those things. That's the part where I get to despair and where I do get antagonistic is, you know how many people had to put so much time in, how many people had to suffer, how much harm had to happen for, you know, and, and, if, and if all of that is going to have been worth something, the only reason why would be if we can prevent it from happening again. And to see a backslide on that makes me furious still, mm-hmm. you know. On the other hand, if we have a flourishing of this open internet, of that idealistic view of like human scale communities with people who actually care to engage, and they might have to relearn these lessons, but they want to, and they're going to ask, hey, has anybody seen this kind of problem come up before? You know, that makes me really idealistic and optimistic, and I'm hopeful again that, you know, at the very least, the surface area is so reduced that you don't get the large scale, I could piss off a million people if I go and do this. Yeah, right I mean, now. I think that's, that's the ultimate kind of question of this moment, which is should the power that has been built up in the last decade through mass social media actually exist in human experience? Right. Or should we actually kind of disaggregate and decentralize? Um, and push that power back into individual communities of, of practice or interest or yeah. what have you that 
you know, allow you to know the 150 people who are in that community and you interact with them. Because the one thing that I see, like, and, and I had this thought when mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like mm-hmm. post.news, yeah. you know, with the tip jar, and I'm curious to hear, you know, mm-hmm. your, your perspective on this, but uh, it creates financialization yep. and monetization, yep. which is the very thing we decried when we started this conversation. Yep. And so when you bring that type of incentive into a platform, people are smart, people are savvy, people evolve, they will find a way of gaming it. And if this doesn't turn into another OnlyFans or something like that, I will be somewhat surprised because when you are dealing with financialization within a local community where everyone kind of knows each other and there are systems that diminish bad behavior like shame, mm-hmm. then you might actually be able to financialize it. Right. But when you remove shame as being a controlling factor yeah. and you're shameless, then that leads to bad behavior. And shame only exists within a community that has a shared set of values. Exactly. Right? right. And, and, and this right. is what we're seeing broadly socially. Right. right? We used to have boundaries on the on the American presidency that were only defined by sure. shame. And right. Those and, defined. And, and, right. And, 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 yeah. and as that, that uh, shared set of values. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm looking at this. It's like if post.news intends to become a mass market phenomenon, then the financialization at the start will be something that is a, well, I, I, I want to go as far as to say that it'll be a corrupting influence, but I'll just say that it puts spin on the ball where the outcomes are unknown. I've seen a number of these different yeah. platforms in yeah. the crypto space and in the token space and even in the fiat space that have tried to put coins and tokens and whatever into the space and it creates a different set of incentives that, for example, young people who are going to determine the next era of culture are, are going to see and game and use in ways that are going to create different vectors of abuse that the current trust and safety teams are not even prepared for. Uh, and and Gnome, let me reiterate, yeah. <laughs> get in touch because I want to invest and Chris and Anil have a lot of ideas. But my original yeah. idea is is just do Twitter now and that was my point. Worry I, about, the, I, I, worry I about the tipping later. I hope it's one of the folks who does it, but, but I'll, I'll tell you a couple things. Yeah. I think the first is the technological mind wants to think that every time you make a text box for people to type in, you've made the same tool and you have not. And the motivation of a person who wants to get attention and engagement is very different from the motivation of a person that wants to make a living doing something. Yes. And sometimes they overlap and some of the desires are the same and also people have a little degree of both. But like I have been a, a, a paid written, you know, professional magazine columnist for Wired Magazine and I've been a person who writes a shitload of stuff for free on my blog and I've written literally 1,000 times as much stuff on my blog and my social media as I've written for pay in my life, mm-hmm. right? And even though there was more prestige attached to the, the publications that I wrote for. And that's, so I have a really yep. sort of clear view of, 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 the, of the, the value of those different systems. And yet the experience of writing, the same keyboard, mm-hmm. same monitor, mm-hmm. same size box, mm-hmm. same kind of, you know, same vibes when I was doing the writing. And so I think that part, it's easy to conflate one for the other and also the, the social dynamics of what motivates people to share, the, the highest motivator over time is, do the people I care about or care to connect with, are they gonna engage with me and respond to me here? Some people find that through the institution of uh, a well-respected publication that gives them that imprimatur. Some people get that through a follower count, some people get that through trolling somebody, all these different ways. And those dynamics are complicated and not obvious and also very often only legible if you've done the work. And uh, you have to have a respect for those things. And what happens is 
the technology reduces and flattens those things. A great example is coming all the way back to blue check marks. Blue check marks mean all of those things. You are who you say you are. You are somebody who's affiliated with an institution. Uh, you are somebody who gets impersonated. You're somebody who needed uh, tools to manage abuse online. Like there's all these different reasons you might get a blue check mark on Twitter, and all those things get conflated because it was created by technologists that sort of say like let's put all these in that bucket and then people on the outside come in and sort of say one of those scenarios is really triggering to me mm. it really is, it makes me angry mm. and i want to go at it and you sort of ignore the conflation that's happened that thing we're going to keep repeating that pattern if we don't break out of it and so that's where i sort of look at like i hope post wins i hope all these different things win mm. but it is inarguable to me that we are at a moment of splintering again. There yep. will never be yep. the concentration into one or two platforms mm -hmm. that we've had these recent yep. years. Yep. And that splintering, I think, is good over time, and we have to figure out how to make that work. Yeah. Now, one, the one last thing that I'll say, and I suppose this is you know, my, my tip to, to know or to anybody else that wants to take Brian's money to go build another tool <laughs> club, uh, you know, and I, I did a, a TEDx talk about this, is just that the, the culture of the founder tends to inform what actually happens on their platform. Yeah. So essentially yeah. what happens in a space is downstream of the beliefs, the values, the ideals, and frankly, what it is that a platform is being designed in response or in reaction to. And so I don't know what Gnome's ultimate purpose or goal is. I don't know what culture he hopes to build or instill on this place, but I would hope that just as we've talked about content moderation as being part of the service, that culture is another aspect and another vector to consider as people are building these things. And if you bring in financialization, if you bring on retweeting or spreading or amplification, or you bring on likes or dislikes, all of those things imply a certain type of value system and the ability for people to judge or reward what people are doing on the, on the platform. So it's these are the things that are the hard won lessons and you know, when I was thinking about this, I was I was sort of thinking about that. You know, the intention of the hashtag was to create something that was open, that was free, that didn't have anything to do with me being the person who would choose who could use or not or not. And that means that people used it for both good and bad. And that is like the easiest thing for me to see. You know, I dropped the pebble into a large ocean, and the ripples that emanated from that were caused by me. And so I think that's that's sort of where we are. And I. I Anyways, we'll see if there are many more pebbles dropping right now. And like I said, there are ats, I believe, but not hashtags. Ah. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, so, well, so that, that pebble is not, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, please yeah. allow Anil to. All right, well, amazing. So, yeah. oh, by is, the way, yes. before he please. does, because yes, he's going to wrap, because yeah. he's technically the host. Right. <laughs> I'm so glad that you did that stuff at the end because you never came on the Internet History Podcast when I was doing it. <laughs> so thank you for giving wow, us a, a, good ten, wow. a good 10 minutes of what I would have wanted you oh, to do okay, on yeah, that I'm one. So, yes. I thought you were just giving me a hard time for not coming on the show. Uh, no, because I never asked you as far as I know, so it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Next one you can go to his office That's to right. record it, too. Yeah. Uh, listen, I, I, I can still always bring it out of retirement at any point. So no. anyway, thank you for doing that. Um, thank you for too. doing this. And now, Thanks Chris, yeah. Yeah. you... Well, I, you know, I don't have much more to say, but thanks everybody for listening. Thanks everyone for uh, Wait, Anil, Anil, Anil. Anil, if you have anything that you would like to share, any links. Oh, yeah, I got a plug. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah some yeah. plugs, please do. I, I think two things actually that are really yeah. pertinent to this. We talked a little bit about Glitch. Um, it is a community that's amazing. It lets you go in your browser and build an app or build a website. And, um, and we're talking a lot about the old internet, but I think the thing I get most excited about is what looks forward. Is yeah. people sort of saying like, "What's the new? You know, I want to hack on the Fediverse, and I want to do something, or I want to build." Does Glitch whatever. have support for the Fediverse? 
Yeah, yeah on, on platform, I, I, I can neither confirm nor deny, oh. but, mm-hmm. but uh, Fediverse developers love to use it, so oh. wouldn't that be interesting? That would be interesting. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say, we we got acquired by Fastly earlier this year. Fastly is one of those, it's a, you know, it's a sort of infrastructure company, and geeks know it, but folks don't really think about, you know, what does that mean day to day, but we were, we've been able to, we're not even there six months, and we were able to do launch this program called Fast Forward that is pouring resources into open source projects mm-hmm. um, at every level, like, you know, programming languages, and uh, one of the ones I love is Scratch, oh, yeah. MIT, Scratch which is a brilliant yeah. tool. It's how my son first learned to love coding. Um, that thing of getting to like give resources to and connect with the people who make the open internet um, has been like one of those bright lights for me for 20 years. It's reconnected me with like, God, I do love this stuff and I can still be optimistic. Even when I've been so cynical or critical of the industry, uh, I've gotten to you know get back into talking to people that have the, like the purest motivations of doing the best work and say, all right, we're going to help you deliver that and we're going to help you you know, uh, build that. Uh, that's like a, a really special thing. So yeah, those, those are the things that are sort of animating my days and, and, and um, getting to work with amazing people. So that, that's really my... Uh, what's what's the website? What's the address? Uh, so you go to fastly.com slash forward. Great. So it's just fast And glitch. And glitch is glitch.com. Amazing. All right. That's perfect. See you on glitch.com. <laughs> sounds good. All right. Well, now, thank you everybody for listening and tuning in. Thanks, Chris, for uh, coming to me again. Well, <laughs> yes. One of these days, what I told you, you, I, I might be out in January, I might be out in January yep. for the um, Come see yeah, me in California. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Sounds good. I love everybody. There you go. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.